This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. My guest today, Todd Bigelow, started the business of photography workshop. He is also the author of the book coming out in May, The Freelancer's Photographer's Guide to Success and Business Essentials. You can find all the information at his website, toddbigelowphotography.com. Todd is an advocate for the photographer's rights and to retain ownership and understand the terms during a deal. I did this not long ago and I picked up a new client because I asked when I was out of town to meet with somebody for a little bit. We ended up meeting for a couple hours over coffee and I got, you know, multiple jobs from him and his other editors at this publication. And, you know, so making those cold calls, those, those editors to this day, I mean, they're different people and so forth, but they still want to find new talent. So it's not something strange to them. They, they, they want to find new talent. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. We've had such guests who have been awarded the Silver Star, won the Oscar, and director of photography for the NFL, Ben Leidenberg. And I tell, I tell a lot of young people I meet, it's you can be a really good shooter or a really good editor, but if you're not a good human, you're not going to last very long in this business because people will know that yeah. and it will get around. Yeah. And I'm sure just like me, you've seen a lot of good shooters that aren't shooting anymore. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break for our sponsor before diving into part two of my conversation with Todd Bigelow. All right, the internet, that monster. Let's discuss it because it it changed our industry like nothing before. Not digital can't even touch it compared to what that internet has done. Well, how did you handle it business wise? And uh, were you prepared? I became prepared. It was kind of like a, a, a as I say, like you know, <laughs> if you want to boil a frog, turn up the heat slowly. <laughs> don't boil frogs out there, people. But you know, that way you don't really know it's what's happening. So that analogy, meaning. It, it, it kind of, uh, the first appearance for it was what's called, and I still have this contract, Matt, literally in my file. Really? The Time Inc. Electronic Rights Contract. And it was issued to all of us that were doing any sort of shooting for any of the Time Inc. publications. And they were offering $100 extra for, to take the assignment fee from 400 to 500 if you agreed to allow them to use the image on the internet. So this is, I think, 96. And everybody that I knew, myself included, thought, <laughs> sure, I'll take the 100 bucks. Who's going to look at images on the internet? Literally, I mean, you got to remember, right. like, we're we're going dial-up. So, you know, when you connect to the internet, you know, it freaking connects. And, like, you know, I mean, you couldn't. There's nothing to view. The images were tiny, nothing loads. Yeah, I mean, they were so they small. They were tiny. They were like, they're literally like smaller than what they consider thumbnails on the internet now. So that was the introduction of like the internet as far as I, you know, was involved um, as a photographer. And then from there, um, you know, the biggest mistake, the biggest impact on our profession was no one saw it coming. Anybody who tells you they saw the power of the internet um, and the influence it would have on journalism and photojournalism, they're lying. They're lying because the smartest people in the in the business didn't know because what did they do, Matt? They give it all away for free, man. And if they knew, do you think they would have? Right. And we've spent the last 
what, eight years trying to stuff that genie back in the bottle? Even big corporations gave it away. That's what I'm saying. Major League Baseball doesn't everybody, own its rights because right? of it. Everybody. I mean, literally everybody. You know, and it's only been in the last several years that you've begin you've begun to see the success of subscription model operations with publications. The biggest ones obviously being the New York Times and you know the Atlantic and places like that where they've been able to tap their subscriber base. But that they weren't charging for content either. None of them were. Right. Some of the most venerable institutions of journalism gave away everything for free, so nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw the impact it would have. And ultimately, that impact was made, would, would trickle down to us and you know that we're producing photographs for publications um, because, as we all know, the advertising revenue started to drastically fall with the print publications as people continued to turn towards the digital age. And then the digital ad revenue, which almost all publications tried to replicate, thinking, oh, well, we'll just transfer ads, you know, what we charge for ads to the internet age. And because all publications were ad-based you know, that's right. where their income was that coming was to support driven. themselves. Yep. That was it. It was ad-based driven. So they weren't able to do that digitally. So suddenly everything is being produced and journalism is expensive. You have to pay for people to travel around the world, have fixers, produce, you know, all these things. It's expensive. Yeah. That's why it should have never been given away for free. But in hindsight, we, no one knew the power of the internet. So they've never been able to replicate that digital ad revenue and now have gone into new ways, things like subscription newsletters and, um, you know, nonprofits that are supported by their, um, you know, readers and subscribers, much like a NPR or something like that, or right, ProPublica right. and, and places. Um, but but that, that deeply, deeply impacted the way we all did work because the, the budgets fell. That, I don't know how else you put it. The budgets all fell because of that domino effect. Did When did you get a website? When did you decide, oh my God, this is my book and I need to put it on this this thing called the internet? I, I, I don't remember what year it was, but it was early. I mean, okay. I saw it coming. So a couple, of my, uh, a couple of my progressions were when I realized I needed to get that archive and internet up there, I went first with Digital Railroad. Oh, wow. And then lost a lot of the images when they suddenly went out of business and we were all trying to desperately pull our images off of their you know, servers. Right, right. Um, because you didn't have them on your... I didn't. And at that because time... nobody knew. Nobody really knew. And the, really the only two that were offering that service was Digital Railroad and Photo Shelter. And at the time, I knew somebody that had gone to work at Digital Railroad after having left Sunset Magazine at the as a director of photography. And he had treated me really well. Longtime photographer and really, really well known in the business. So I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll go over here. And then that didn't work, so I pretty much went right over to Photo Shelter um, and started working, um, you know, with that. But but my website was up pretty early, um, very rudimentary, as you can imagine. Not much would change because I didn't have the ability to manufacture it. At first, I had somebody build one. Right. Or I'm sorry, to, to keep control of it. So anytime I wanted something uploaded, I had to contact that person, <laughs> and then they would upload it. Oh, so much work yeah. to show her stuff. Yeah, and I, and I trade – I. Here's here's how here's how funny this was. I agreed to pay for his services. He wanted a Casio PDA. <laughs> <laughs> what a PDA? 
need to keep contracts, I mean, contacts, and like maybe make a little email from your PDA and so forth. So I bought him one, a couple hundred dollars or something, and he built me the little website. Yeah, so it had a little plane, I had a little box, and it had a little uh, plane, which would be a gift right now, right? And it would just go from like LA to Las Vegas to San Francisco and back to LA to show like, <laughs> hey man, I, I can do this real easy. Yeah, <laughs> look at my airplane move. It was it was a a powerful thing that completely disrupted our industry. Like, I think if Sports Illustrated was treated right it would still be the great Sports Illustrated that it was. Uh, do you remember that demo they had for their version of some kind of uh, interactive iPad that you could click on it and it was their subscription? To, it was like Sports Illustrated, instead of weekly, it was every day. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? I do remember I that. remember seeing Terry pitch yeah. that and all right. stuff, and I thought, if they can make this happen... They can stay alive and they can be the uh, athletic or they can be the Players' Tribune ahead of ahead of it. And they never did. Yeah. They never figured it out. I remember yeah. when they didn't even own their own website. Right. It was run out of some firm out of Atlanta. Right. Like, right. how do you not have Sports Illustrated? Oh, like, it always would bug me. I would help out John or Peter or mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. And then we'd have to send our stuff to Atlanta. I'm like, why isn't Sports Illustrated doing their own stuff? Right. Like John's works not on SI.com. Right. Ah, what? Yeah. The greatest basketball player, shooter, and he doesn't have his stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd be speculating. I wish I knew the answer, but, you know, I know that technologically, I think they were always trying to figure things out. I mean, um, you're probably familiar somewhat with their Opus. Yes. You know, proprietary uploading system, online proprietary uploading I system. I never understood that. It, it was, you know, built in-house. It was all their proprietary, you know, technology, and they would send us a computer, yeah. you know, to, to transmit from. I had that brick. Yeah, I had to have it shipped wherever I was going to cover an event, and and it would do a lot of things that you didn't want it to do, uh, one of which was a program that to oftentimes erase the card the minute it was downloaded. Yes. So you couldn't get your images off of it because the minute it downloaded, it was just ripping the files to New York. So, I mean, it... And then once that person left Sports Illustrated from the technological side, guess what? <laughs> no one knew how to like keep this thing going. So we, you know, went went to other ways to to deliver the images. But um, I mean, I remember raising my hand, going, "Hey guys, Photo Mechanic does this. Yeah, that's ah, not ours, right. but it does it. You know, I think I think what happens is, you know, <laughs> can you be humble enough to say I don't really know what what to do and, and, and to learn something new and to, and to make it better, to strive to make better. Or sometimes when you're sitting at the top of, of the heap long enough, you think um, perhaps, you know, we know it's best all the time. Again, I, I don't know if that's the case, but I mean, Sports Illustrated clearly wasn't the only magazine that was making no. a whole oh, lot yeah. of mistakes. Right. Everybody was. Everybody. And I, we were all making mistakes. So, you know, because it was such a new you know, new thing, you know, it's like no one quite knew how to handle distribution of images. And what does this mean now? I mean, as you say, there's nothing that's been more disruptive because now we're all connected. So now, as we know from, you know, the 2016 contract for Time Inc. and Sports Illustrated, you weren't shooting for the magazine anymore. You're shooting for a brand. Yeah. It was a brand contract. Well, right. I'm here to tell you that the difference between shooting for a brand and a publication is the difference between shooting for a corporation or shooting editorial. Okay, those are 
drastically different rates totally. with totally different terms and so forth. Uh, so, especially the terms. Exactly. Especially, especially the, terms. the terms. And and but because you were shooting for a brand it, with with the internet and the capabilities to instantly everybody has access to them. Anybody that had the name, trademark, or logo of Sports Illustrated got f- free access to my images. Uh, I need to make money from my images. And we always have made money from our images, not only from Sports Illustrated, but from any other magazine where we retain the rights. There's secondary use rights to those. Right. That's a huge part of being a freelancer. So the internet has had a profound re- uh, impact. It continues to. Um, it has also elevated, and, and, I, and I try to bring this up often enough, it has also elevated our work to make it easier for us to display our own work. Yep. So I, I can tell you countless times I've been assigned by magazines to go shoot, you know, important stories. You know, uh, I got assigned one time by people to go out, um, you know, on the U.S.-Mexico border to tell the story of two brothers. One who is a, was a congressman who was very, very uh, anti-immigration and one whose brother put barrels out along migrant you know, paths to save, right. you know, the migrants from, from dying of exposure. Really interesting story. I spent days working on it. It never ran. It never ran. Okay. Never published. So no one ever saw that work in today's day and age. I can take that work. Assuming I own the rights, which I always do. And I can do a beautiful gallery. In fact, if it goes beyond the embargo or if the contract is structured correctly, I can take those images and I can pitch them someplace else. But I could put them up on my blog, on my website. Those things weren't available to us pre-internet. You know, you had a print book. Right. You know, that was- Or a gallery or or, um, an agency. Or an agency, right. right. But even the agency, and I I joke about this a lot because I talk a lot about infringement. I've dealt a lot with infringement of my work, but- in the early days, I wasn't registering my 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 copyright with my slides a lot because what was what was the situation of infringement? Where, how did it really happen? Right. You know. So the joke I say is like, what? It's somebody going to knock out the bike messenger that's traveling between Black Star and the Time Inc. building and run off with the messenger bag with my slides in it, and then and then somehow scan those and then deliver them to magazines. I mean, let, let's be real. It, it was not the wildfire it is now. The internet now, anybody can grab anything off anywhere. Basically. Oh yeah. So it, that's it, a scary Google. It is. To, absolutely to your work and see where it's being yeah, used. Yeah, there's many ways in which I, I advise on on how to go about doing those things. But but again, so there's there's been a lot of things that we've had to deal with that that have kind of negatively impacted us from budgets being decimated due to the loss of ad revenue. But there have been, you know, I've I've been able to evolve and use the um, options and opportunities that are available now that are so easily available to raise awareness of my work when I'm pitching projects that was never available before. Right. I mean, before is send the slides to the agency. They make dupes. They make five sets. They get, send them by bike messenger and they, hopefully the editor looks at them. Then they maybe call you back and say, yeah, we kind of like this. Now I can do a beautiful gallery Make it completely unvisible to anybody except unless I send them the link, write up a nice pitch, send it out. I can see if they view it. I, you know, there's all sorts of things right. that are available to me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it, it's been helpful. Right. You touched on a little bit a couple of times, the immigration angle. Why, why did you fall in love with that, that working the southern border? What did uh, you see there? That, I, you know, I saw a lot of Don Bartletti's work. Um, early on, because uh, I was, you know, at working times. at the Times and in L.A., um, yeah, I was also enamored of the fact that there, this was a 
place where third world kind of met first world. Um, and it was very close, um, well, th- you know, 300, 350 miles away. But um, I also found it to be hauntingly beautiful. Like, I, I you know, I didn't want to ever approach it as um, the images I saw were very humanistic. Okay. Um, a lot of what Don had shot, um, a famous picture of a, a father blessing migrants as they ran across what an area then known as a soccer field. Um, um, you know, there, there, there was like a humanistic way of telling stories. And I, and I, I, I felt for them. Um, I've spent a lot of time along the border. I spent a lot of time south of the border, you know, and in, in not only in Tijuana and in Arizona and in Texas, all the border towns on both sides. And Major uh, change you've seen then. Yeah, I have. And, and, and including recently with migrant surges and so forth. And I've, I've been in the hills of California in migrant camps and spent the night with the migrants in their, in their you know, little lean-tos and so forth. And, you know, as is anything, as is anything, Matt, you get, whenever you get to know people, even if it's for a short period of time, it's better than going in with a preformed idea. So that was that's always been my goal with anything I shoot. So the the interest that I saw with those images wanted, I just drove me to want to go experience it for myself. So I right. I called a, a photographer down there. It wasn't Don. I called a photographer before I'd ever been, and I and I said, I know you're working down there. What can you tell me? Can I? And um, and he said, uh, and he'll remain nameless. Um, <laughs> he said, um, it's kind of dangerous. Bring a long lens and and try to shoot as much as you can. You know, keeping a distance because sometimes you know they'll throw rocks if you get close to the border and stuff like that. And uh, I. I made that call from the LA Times uh, Valley office, and I, I remember hanging up thinking, "No, <laughs> that's exactly what I don't want to do." I mean, sorry. I mean, right. it's like it's one of those things. I'm either going to go tell the story, but the story is not by long lens. Yeah, know? it's not me dragging a six hundred no, around and that's shooting not, it. That's, that's not yeah. how you tell these stories. It's not. It might it might fulfill a daily wire service story or something, but I need to, I want to go explore. So I just started going down there, man, and, and just exploring and getting to know people. And one of the biggest stories I ended up producing, uh, you know, shooting over a period of time for a year was I discovered vigilantes that were working along way out in the eastern side of the, of the border. And I only discovered them because I was hanging out down there and people were telling me to talk to certain other people. And what had happened was, there was a big border bill up. Clinton did this thing called the Operation Gatekeeper, which was a dog and pony show of basically making it look like they were shutting down the border by putting all the border patrol up on like the Tijuana levy and say, don't move, you know, because no one will ever come if they see you. Well, you know, what happens? They just go around. Right. Right. So I started to go east. Not knowing anything, like literally just driving way down there and driving and going into towns and talking to people. Like Mexicali area down there? Um, east uh, San Diego County. Okay. So uh, like Julian and okay. Campo and Boulevard and, you know, places out there. Uh, pretty pretty far east, 70, 80 miles east of San Diego. And the, those ranchers on the west, on the, you know, U.S. side were being slaughtered by the amount of people that were coming through. I mean, just the immigration that was coming through at that point was just, they had always lived with it. So I ended up being told by somebody that I just met at a gathering of people in a community center. Oh, you need to, you need to talk to Bob. And I said, okay. And they said, do you know Bob? And I said, I don't know anybody. And they said, uh, let me, let me find him. I think he's here. 
It was a community thing about what was going on because the surges pushed all these migrants into their community. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? Right. And this guy comes up and he says, how you doing? Bob Moppin. I said, how you doing? Todd Bigelow. What's going on? I told him, I said, listen, I've just been exploring the border with my camera and trying to show what's really going on. You know, both sides doing this, being fully honest. Okay. Okay. You live out here? No, I live up in LA, but I try to get down here as much as I can. What are you doing next weekend? Uh, nothing. He goes, why don't you come on out? Because here's my address. I said, okay. He goes, come on, we'll show you what you're doing. I said, okay. Drove home 350 miles next weekend, drive out like 400 plus miles. Pull up, gates are locked. He lives right on the border. And this is rural. This is just really rural. Right. And um, dogs going crazy and woman comes out. Looking at me, I said, um, my name's Todd. I, I was told to come out out today. I'm a photographer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bob's waiting for you. Let me call him on the radio. It's a big ranch, you know, like rural ranch. Calls me on the radio. Guy comes bouncing up with a truck, gets out, says, hey, how you doing? I'm glad you came. I said, hey, thanks for having me, you know. He says, jump in. We're chasing a group. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> I, I I mean, I got no idea. He never said anything. Like, chase, chasing a group. Okay, well, I'm. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I ain't dumb either. I'm like, oh, shit's about to get real. <laughs> so, so I jump in. There's an AR hanging off the back window. Uh, I'm like, oh, man, I hope this doesn't get nasty, right? So we go bouncing down some roads. And he's just talking. I mean, he's not racing anywhere. He's just driving down dirt running roads. We stop, Matt. And we just stop in the middle of the road. I, I, I can't even embellish this because it's so 100% accurate. The bushes stood up, and it was three guys in g- ghillie suits, and they had the weeds on their heads and camoed and just completely armed out. And I want you to meet a few of the guys. <laughs> I'm just about ready to lose it. A year later, the story uh, was brought to New York Times Sunday Magazine, and they ran it as a standalone photographic project. So, again. The humanistic side. Um, look, these guys. What the guys are doing? They, they first of all, uh, you know, they they were hard on their immigration. Okay, but the the truth is, I could have easily stereotyped them. The reality is, he his family had owned that ranch for a hundred years, over a hundred years, and he was the first one to tell me, "Look, man, we've had people walk through our property for decades." They drink from the hose. This is exactly what he said. They drink from the hose. They close the gate. They go on their ways. No problems here. Right. But since that surge, it's a whole different element. We got cars driving through now. They're being left loaded with 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 drugs. We got uh, my daughter was suddenly surprised by a group of men. He goes, this is different. So I formed this little patrol. They're all licensed. One guy was a former SEAL. Uh, others were local residents. So I spent time with them to just try to show. I spent over a year because I didn't want to, Martha Bardock at the time knew I was working on one. They wanted to give me a days to shoot it and I turned them down because I didn't want to lose any control. I wanted to tell the story as accurately as possible. Right, 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 right. Without time frame. And, and I felt like it took a year to get it, you know, because I was only going out on weekends and, you know, there was a lot of things going on. And, and of course, there, he wasn't the only one. There was an old lady down the road that, that was hanging. And I have this, I've been around forever now, but the images of the 
coyote. We were walking her property and we turned this corner in a gulch that she said is used. And there's a coyote hanging from its tail from a tunnel. And I'm like, whoa, what's that? She's like, oh, it's a, it's a coyote. I trapped it and I thought I'd send a message to these guys. Oh my God, these people are hardcore. <laughs> Oh. That was it. Coyotes are, are smugglers. That's right. the sign for smugglers. So she trapped the coyote and decided, I'm going to hang this thing where you guys run through. I'll let you know. So I, you know, I spent a little time hanging out with her and that type of stuff. So it kind of led to a, a pretty demonstrative story, especially at a time when there were no oath keepers. There were no, uh, uh, you know, freedom fighters working along the border. This was way before any of that. And it got a lot of attention after the story ran 60 minutes. Everybody was calling Bob. Bob would interview. He would talk to people, but he wouldn't take anybody else out there. Really? No. Why? No. He told me. He goes, as soon as they want to put the time in, I'll welcome them. Uh, that was it. He goes, you came out, you put the time in. Yeah. Swear to God. Yeah, that's, he that's just so passed true. away a couple years ago. He would send, his family would send us Christmas cards and stuff just because, and you know, again, like it was just, I treated him with respect. You were fair. I was fair. And he treated me with respect and we didn't make judgments of one another. And we just, you know, he, he, he literally appreciated, even though he, Definitely thought the media was was biased, but he definitely appreciated that I attempted to show uh, the reality and the truth. And I wasn't just showing up and taking pictures of them with guns and then running back and transmitting them out into the world. Right. You know, which is what pretty much occurs now. It's like, right. oh, there's guys with, you know, I'm going to put them out on social media and then everybody will, you know, comment on it or something. It's right. like when I work a project, I to this day, to this day, when I work a project, I keep it quiet. And I work it until I feel like it's done. And, you know, like last year, you know, there's three projects I, I got licensed. One by NBC News, one by Vox, and one by Politico. Nobody knew I was working on them while I was doing them. Just kept them Just tight, kept them quiet until I feel like myself and, and, and the director at, at Contacts thought, yeah, this looks pretty good. Right. You used the term bias, and Don said he struggled with that when covering, you know, his border stuff. How right. was that for you? Were, were you looking at that going, okay— I have to show both sides fairly and not slip into like one side or the other, showing a bunch of ARs or right. someone's weepy story on this side. Just let me just tell a simple story without my point of view. I, I think that's always the goal. I mean, for me, it is. Um, uh, you know, we all come with our inherent bias because how we're raised and, uh, you know, the environment that we participate in and so forth. But I, I firmly believe, and I'll attribute a lot of this to my mother with just her incessant, you know, reminders and upbringing of, of how to be an open-minded, decent, non-judgmental person. That's, I mean, that was, that was it in a nutshell. And you don't find that a lot um, in an Italian Catholic. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of Italian Catholic uncles and aunts. I mean, my mom was the first of six and I have many aunts and uncles <laughs> and so forth. And they're extremely judgmental. You know, it's like, this is the way, this is a doctrine. This is how you do it. Okay. That's you. Um, but I was raised differently. So what I always tried to do is devote enough time where I felt like I was telling a story true to what I saw over time, not what I saw in an hour. Not right. what I saw in two hours. You know, I did another one on a on a on a on a migrant shelter in Tijuana, and I went down number of times, a number of times. You know, and 
it's just you try to do what you can to try to make it as accurate as possible. Here's here's the follow up to the to the vigilante story. I I, I kind of cut a toe off on my own career a little bit. Um, when we approached it, a black star and I took it to Anne. We put it all together. She took it slides, took it to Kathy Ryan at the New York Times Magazine. She's a legendary editor, man. She's a very powerful editor. And um, I had not worked with them at that point. They were clearly taken by it. You know, first of all, it was something that no one else had done. No one had seen it. Um, it was timely. It was relevant. All the things. There was impactful pictures. Everything was there. They immediately, like, it was the first place we took it, and they immediately said yes. They agreed to um, three to five pages which in the New York Times Sunday Magazine, I was like, wow, okay, sweet. A writer whose work I'd read quite a bit named Ted Conover was going to write a text block to just accompany it. And um, everything was set. And then on like a Thursday or Friday night, I got a call from Ted. And he said, I just want to give you a heads up that cut the hell out of this. It's going down to a page. And I was like, What? No way. So I called Ann immediately. And I do remember being late. You know, it's New York, too. And I'm like, Ann, no, there's just no way. We can't do this. I mean, I can't. This is literally like, this will be so unfair. There's no way you can tell this in a story. You just can't tell the story right. in a story, in a page. You can't. We got to do something. And she's like, do you want to call her or you want me to? And I said, well, I think I should, to be honest with you, you know. And she's like, hey, you know, don't. Don't get overly excited, but talk to her about it. And I said, of course, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, and I did. And I talked to her and I, and I made my case for the fact that um, this would be an unjust representation of what I shot. And it would not be fair, not only to myself, but clearly not fair to the subjects because you're going to use a couple images of them holding guns, but you're not going to show the images of them, you know, aiding them or in any other way, kind of telling the entire story of right. what I had yeah. seen. You it, know? it shows a bias immediately. It if you did. Do. And, and, and she immediately said, yeah, you know, we were, tra- we were, we weren't struggling with your story. We we're struggling with space for other stories. And of course, you know, she's explaining what I kind of understood, which is, right. you know, there's only X amount of pages and you got some things are going to go long and something are going to go short. They went back. They went back and, and ran it, you know, as it should have been. Um, and I ended up being assigned several stories uh, in Texas and, and elsewhere from, from the New York Times Magazine, from Kathy and her, and her deputies after that. But, you know, I felt like I maybe maybe made things a little hard on myself, you know, by doing that. Um, and she wasn't, she wasn't resistant to hearing me. I, I absolutely commend her. And to this day, I've contacted her over other things and she replies and I think nothing but respect, but it's, 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 that's an issue that photographers have to face and I need to be true to myself and I definitely need to be true to my subject. Right. And if it means I get burned, I get burned. Okay. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to, I, I can't see that. It wasn't a one day shoot. I went and did, man. I spent a freaking year on this. Right. You agreed to three to five pages. We're going to do three to five pages. You know, if you don't, don't, don't suddenly cut this. Right. Because yeah. it's just not true to the story. Yeah. It, yeah. Ultimately we're going to present something that's not accurate. Right. Do you keep track of the, something like that for a year, the expenses, the miles, the hours, the, uh, the wear and tear. So you could try to recoup that at yeah. some point. Cause I mean, a year on a project where you're just, open and praying in the faith that, you know, as the great photographer, you're going to make something. I mean, you keep track of all that. I, I do for tax purposes because they're all tax deductible 
right. business expenses. Did I ever recoup my time and value? Probably not, Matt. I mean, that one took took time and it was not close to around the corner. Um, and how do you exactly value every hour and so forth? I have, re, you know, I have not only, you know, licensed that project, uh, you know, uh, I've licensed the images more more times than I can really count. So I, I've, I've clearly profited from the images, so to speak, but make sure it's clear that the, the, the profit comes from me controlling my images and where they're published. So when I yeah, when, when those images are used, I want to know how they're used, what the story is. Otherwise, you don't get permission. Right. Right. So they, on my website, I have many images that are available directly through the website where you have to go through a drop down menu and select the license. And I pray to God that you're, you know, following, you know, the, the law and you're, right. you're agreeing to a, a real life. But the stuff that is truly socially significant like that. No, you have to contact me or 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 my agency. When did you become cognizant of the photo business side in your career? Did it slap you and say, OK, this is a business. I have to treat, you know, the contracts, the terms and be aware of them and not take everything for granted. When did that start to become a focus for you? Uh, when I was at the LA Times. So in the early 90s. Early. Yeah, very early. Very early. Because I was presented with a contract. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sign a contract right. and not read the thing. You but you'd be surprised how many people do. Right. Were you presented any kind of signing when you were with a courier or any other paper as a staffer? Like you know, Todd signed this stuff at the Hartford Current. No, no, that was strictly a hey. If we need you, we're going to call you. Okay. So there was no. There wasn't at, a freelance contract. There was no contract at the LA Times. So there every was time a contract. you owned everything out of Hartford, and I owned everything at the LA Times. Okay. Yeah. How did that contract go with the LA Times? Pretty good. <laughs> what was the original? It was the original was very good. Okay. So, uh, it, it, but I want that to, to answer the first question first. It was it was definitely in, at that time. Okay. Um, and I was aware that I owned all the images to my copyright because I was not a staff. I right. mean, I, no clear it, to me. This was perfect. I wanted to be contract, but I wanted the freedom to go out and shoot what I want when I wanted, mm-hmm. um, including for others. Um, the LA Times does not offer that type of contract anymore. No. <laughs> um, and the reason is primarily is um, those contracts are illegal. And they were illegal at that time, too. And um, the Times and others, uh, it's pretty, pretty well known within the profession at that time, um, were being sued. And then the IRS took a look. Right. And that's when they issued a new contract because it had to be more legally sound on their end, which is a work for hire contract. And, um, when I, that's when I decided to leave. So, but, but because I did not, so I was clearly aware of the benefits of owning my work. Um, at that time when I owned my work and I was at the LA times, they had a, what was called a permissions desk and they okay. would share a little bit of profit with you when those images were reused by others. So that was cool. So I was already beginning to see, understand like the value of that. Nice. I also was very early because of Eddie Adams and others and Chris Morris and the Turnley brothers were with black star. And I was seeing all this work. I'm like, Oh, let me look into some agencies and how does this work? So I, I had to self learn. So I realized like, well, you got to own your images. Otherwise there's nothing to provide to the agency. Right. Right. So, um, it just went on from there. When, when the, when that 
contract came along from the LA Times for to work for hire, um, I walked. Wow. How was that? Uh, that was right when my son was born. So it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, did I forget to mention that's also when we had just bought a house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in hindsight, I'd probably maybe rethink all of that just because of like, wow, that was like really stupid or gutsy or both. Um, it's worked out okay for me for now, but, um, how was uh, it from the LA Times standpoint? Were they like, no, wait, come back? Oh, no, or, no, 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 not at understand? all. No, they understood. And, 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 and they always treated me so well. Um, I was tailoring that contract back with each given version of it. Um, meaning like I would be guaranteed four days and then I'd, decide to take it to three and then I decided to take it to two as I was going to New York and trying to, and I was beginning to get work from the magazine. Right. So I was trying to hold on to some guaranteed income while also, um, you know, really pushing. Exploring, Exploring. other income. So yeah. kind of like before I jump two feet in, let me have one foot in each camp and the contract provided me that opportunity. That's good. That when the work for hire came, that's when I said, I think this is the catalyst I need. My wife's pregnant. Um, let got me, a mortgage. I got a mortgage, man. <laughs> and those are the days where you actually had to prove you could pay a mortgage before yes. they gave you a mortgage. So, yes. So it was scary, but you know, we, we scrapped again and we drove old cars and, uh, we Just got it done. You got it done. You figure out a way. I mean, and, and I'm clearly not the only one in this, in this country as a photographer that's done it. I mean, oh, countless people I know, but you know, I also know that people in all sorts of professions figure out a way to get it done. Right. You know? What do you say is a good contract and what do you say is a bad contract? A bad contract is one in which you give up all your rights, including copyright. First of all, that's the worst. Don't give up your copyright. Is that a standard work for hire? Yes. Work Boom. for hire Done. means a work for hire is a is 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 a part of the US copyright law, which stipulates clearly that the rights to your work, including the copyright, are transferred to the client that's hiring you if you agree to it in writing. That's why it comes in a contract. Okay, now it could be worded in different ways and different clauses, but oftentimes right. it will say this contract is a work for hire or work made for hire. Okay, so sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes they won't use work for hire, but it will say that you are transferring all rights, including copyright. So you have to agree to transfer your copyright if you're a freelancer. Otherwise, by US copyright law, if you are not agreeing to it in writing, you own it. Right. Okay, so. Bad contract, the worst contract is work for hire. Bad contract is a contract that is not work for hire, so you may retain the copyright, but you give them such expansive rights that, that there's virtually, you're ruining the market for any secondary use anyways. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's primarily what the Sports Illustrated contract was. Right. In 2016, yeah. which it wasn't before that. We all, you know, not only did well with their original contract, they treated us fairly. There was a lot of extra licensing that came as a result of the assignments. And then with the 2016 contract, that all but was eliminated. Oh, yeah. I remember Peter telling me what he made per day in his original contract and then the back end resale. Back end, and you're right. like, oh, my goodness. Right. That's why. Right. You're making 90000 off the resale. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's hard to it's hard to get people to really sit up and listen to it because sometimes some of those images might not do anything. Sometimes it may take a few years. But um, as I've told you before uh, in my workshop, I show some really bad images I've taken. Matt, have you ever taken bad images? A lot. 
I'm gonna Thank take you. some. I'm gonna take some this afternoon. I might take some later <laughs> tomorrow. You know, but but I I've licensed them because people have use for all sorts of things that go beyond my capability of thinking. What would that be used for? Right. right. So I make them available through my archive on the unlisted portion, which is accessible through anybody doing a search on Google. So you'd be shocked. Oh, and you know this. I would be shocked. How many <laughs> photos are using? You're like, yeah, that'll never sell. Oh. Sure in the hell it does. Yeah. Rippling water or some yeah. lame sunset or whatever, you name it. Yeah. Somebody's putting it somewhere. You might as well make it available. Yes. So, and those are the types of things uh, that, that that's why I, I say the contracts, you, you, you need to hold on to those rights. So I break it down into never assume you know what is valuable. Never assume you know who is going to become famous. Because I've had situations personally where I've photographed people that since became. I had a situation presented to me from a mutual friend of ours um, where a photographer wanted to talk to me about a copyright issue about an image. Sure, have him call me. He calls me. He was the school is, I still believe, uh, the school photographer for a little high school in the valley out here, private Catholic high school called Immaculate Heart. Any idea who went to Immaculate Heart? Uh, no. Was a young lady by the name of Meghan Markle, oh. <laughs> who since became Princess Meghan. And he was sitting on four years of images, of which he owned the copyright. Proms, portraits, events of Meghan Markle. And he thought, first of all, these are being stolen from all over the place because, like, the website for the school and, you know, this and that and the yearbook. Right. And, like, and how, do, how what do I do? <laughs> so, you know, I put the wheels in motion and now those images are, are registered and protected and, and, and licensed primarily through our, through contact press images. Um, but he, how was he supposed to know Megan Markle? Right. It was just another, another young 17 girl. 17-year-old girl. Now, that's a valuable archive. That's a valuable archive. And, and, and we could go on and on about, you know, oh, okay, you how about find you know, Tiger? How about, you know, LeBron? How about, right. you know, uh, any physicists or something? I mean, I've licensed physicists, a bunch of physicists that I've shot. Because right. I don't know who they are, but in the science world, they sure are important. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of photos of them being used. You and I just don't see because we're not Absolutely. looking at Physicist Magazine Weekly. Right, right. <laughs> or, or the countless blogs that need them. Yeah. So, you know, hold on to your rights. The best, to, to, to final answer your question, the best type of contract is that in which you're providing the client. And let's just assume we're talking for, for publication because it can be very different for corporations and, and, and so forth. But for publication, you're providing the client rights. And oftentimes it's perpetual. And that's fine as long as it's in original context. That's the key. And I've gotten many good clients or many clients delivering me good contracts right. with that terminology already in it. If not, I try to put it in. And I did with Vox last last year with a project that I licensed to Vox. It didn't have it in. It said perpetual rights of the images. No, in the original use is fine because you're going to put it on the web. It's going to be perpetual on the web, sure. but it can only be in that original use. If I take out original context and they have perpetual use of the images, now all the images I sent for them to publish in the in the in the project, project. they have perpetual use right. forever. So if they run another thing on a protest or a or a Black Lives Matter thing that I had shot, then then they would have legally the rights. Now, I'm not saying they would have without contacting me, but legally they would have. Yeah, right. So I just said original context. They said, sure, no problem. And they amended it. Yeah. 
Okay, so make sure it says original context because that's what, and then any other use outside of it, they just have to come back to you. We need to also be aware that don't be afraid to ask no. and change a contract. They give you one doesn't mean it's it's in cement. You can change it, amend it. You could that's do it. business, isn't right. it? And all retail. And, and, and the worst that can happen, they say, no, we can't change it. Then you have to decide whether or not that is too one-sided. So I tweeted out this morning about Mercury Insurance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, they kind of like pulled us some shenanigans with my son who went out on his own policy. And between his first bill and his second bill, they raised the rate like 40%. And he checked into it, but he's working these weird long hours. And he said, can you can you find out what's going on with this? You have a lot more experience. Said, sure, let me check into it. So I called my agent. And it's, they gave me some BS excuse. And I said, I've been with, I've been with Mercury forever. And he's been with, he was with him up until he went out on his own for like six years. So I said, well, you guys need to change this. Like it's, you know, like 400 bucks. You guys need to change this. That's not right. Let me get back to you. Get back to you. Yeah, there's really nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do at all. No, I've been with you guys for 20 something years. I carry homeowners and I carry multiple cars with you guys. Nothing you can do. No, I can't. Okay. Thanks a lot. Hang up. Nothing you can do, bud. I I suggest that you go ahead and get some, uh, you know, quotes from a couple of different uh, places. By the end of the day, he had a brand new, uh, brand new insurance policy premium that not only saved him four hundred dollars. It's a JD Power and Associates like best customer service and all this great discounts saved all that money. So he immediately put in a cancellation with that. I just canceled mine yesterday for the auto because I got a better rate from AAA of all places much better rate and I'm in the process of moving my homeowners over so hey no problem I didn't yell at the agent but right. I already already contacted him yesterday pull my homeowners cancel it as of Monday this is how you do it you have a choice they said I said can we negotiate and they said no and I said okay so now I have a choice in my camp either continue in an unfair situation which I believe or find a choice and okay. you've got choices and so I got did. choices so I bounced yeah and I've done that with countless photo contracts and it should be like that it should be and it's not being hardcore it's like uh, listen i'm, I'm willing to com- yeah man i'm willing to compromise right. but it has to be fair guys. absolutely it has to be fair now why do you think photographers and writers have different contracts other than we're stupid as a box of rocks <laughs> because i know like you know whether it was you know, name the writer and name the photographer, whether it's at SI Time or whoever. There's different contracts. There's also different contracts between photographers. Yes. Too. And writers. Let me address like, as stupid as a box of rocks. <laughs> no, I only laugh because how many times, how many times have you ever been asked, Harry, are you just the photographer or do you write too? Yeah. I mean, that used to be something Darren Carroll and I used yeah. to joke about that. Like, let's put this on a t-shirt. It's like, first of all, the first question would be, it's a 600 and no, I can't see the moon. <laughs> and two, <laughs> two is, no, I can't write. I can barely read. Yeah. Right. So that's why they gave me the camera. That's why they gave me the camera. <laughs> I'm not that stupid. Okay. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I do think partially because, if we're talking now, contracts have different sections with different terms, but with photographers, it's the most important is what happens to the images. Writers don't necessarily have to worry about that to the degree that we do, because our images can be reused and reused and reused all the time. A writer's story 
can be reused, but really only in the context of that story. I mean, what are they going to do? Take some of the research and write another story? Okay, that's fine. But they could do that anyways, even if the contract, they can just say, I just did a new research. Right. Right. So there's not like the, the, the secondary licensing value of a story at the same level there is for photography. Right. So I think that that's clearly why most most places want to own your rights because they recognize the secondary value of it. I was having a, a talk with a writer and I said, hey, would you ever, you know, sue another writer if they plagiarized your stuff? Because there was a guy in San Francisco who was, he was saying he was going to Giants games and he wasn't. He was yeah. sitting at home on his couch oh, and he was taking- I think I remember this. Yeah, and he yeah. was taking other people's stuff and he was- yeah. Making his own story. Yeah. And they're like, I never thought of it. I'm like, yeah, some guy takes a piece of your quote here, piece of your writing here, and makes their own story. Goes, oh, I don't know. I've never thought of it. I'm yeah. like, well, it happens to us all the time. All the time. Somebody's swiping my photo and plugging it in. And God knows how much of my work has been used. I just don't know. Absolutely. The world's big now. Yeah. yeah. No idea. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. And, and that's the, you know, that's the, that's the internet age we're in. That's a digital age. You know, I mean, I used to get, you know, prior to really digital becoming what it is now, the websites everywhere and so right. forth, I would get resale. So I allowed Sports Illustrated to re license, to license my images okay. um, directly. And they would, they always had good fair fees. The the woman that ran it was just legendary. Yeah, just so she was the greatest, right? So I would get checks. They would just show up in the mail, right? You know, and I'd open it up, and I mean, they would be for thousands, and you'd and they read would it for hundreds, right? Right. I mean, literally. So, but I would get them all the time. You know, the majority of them were in the hundreds, right? Right. Mm -hmm. A few hundred here, 500 there, 600. And then one showed up, it was 6,500. I'm like, oh, I got a call on this one. I'm like, what was this? it? What the hell? It was a shot I took of Annika Sorenstam on the course one time when she got clear braces. And they, and and I guess she was being uh, either sponsored or the clear braces places place, clear braces place. <laughs> Say that. Right. Uh, somehow uh, purchased the rights and was obviously working with Annika as, as an ad. So it was a 50, 50 split. So that was a $13,000 resale. And I got 6,500. I was like, okay, that's a good check. Going to buy a computer, upgrade the equipment, that type of stuff. Um, and those, those, those and things, those are gone. Uh, because yeah. No, yeah. I, I get very few $200 license requests directly. Most of them are, are significantly higher because most of those people just steal it. They'll, they'll go somewhere and find the image. They'll screenshot them. They'll do whatever they can to steal the images. Right. Okay. And if it's sitting in a doctor's office in Ohio, you don't know. Right. And that now the screenshots won't necessarily print for a big print, but I do a lot of protection of my work at least once a quarter and I have a method in place. And when I do find these things, I go through a procedure by which I try to, uh, you know, uh, get that retroactive license and, or because I copyright my work, I go after them. Right. You, I when, make it painful. If you're going to steal from me, I'm going to smack you in the mouth. When did you start copywriting? Really significantly. Um, Probably, you know, right when the digital age really took off. Yeah. So what was that? Maybe 15 years ago or something right. like that. Yeah. 
you decide, okay, yeah, but I, I've since copyrighted much older work than right, that. Yeah. Right. It's just, it was very hand to mouth with, I saw, I literally did see like, not only with the digital age, but I saw the loss of those checks. Like suddenly it's like, I don't get those checks anymore. And it's like, because everything's going more and more out on the internet. Right. Um, but yeah, that's an important, important part of it's, it's, I, you know, when I talk, I talk about diversification, uh, just like investments. I diversify. I've had to diversify as a photographer um, and I have diverse income streams and um, I definitely have an income stream from, you know, uh, uh, retroactive licensing and infringement recovery. Right. Do you dabble in commercial photography? Not, not a lot. Do you stay in the editorial I, world? If I have the opportunities, I, I take I, I, I take them and, and they come along. You know, every so often, but those it's, contracts get thick. They do, they do. Um, I, I dabble dabble more in the corporate world. So sometimes corporate and commercial is kind of a gray area, right? Um, so definitely more in the corporate world. Um, but but um, I don't I don't do a ton of editorial work as, as like I used to. You know, it's kind of a uh, I list a percentage of my book, actually, like, you know, there's 20 percent editorial, 20 percent, uh, you know, uh, uh, con uh, corporation work, 25 um, percent teaching, 20 percent uh, infringement and authorization, 10 percent uh, uh, consulting. You know, this is this is a reality for right. me now. And then uh, licensing. So, I, you know, 20, 25 percent licensing of my income. So when you break it down, which I do, I break it down and I look to see where where I can push into new new avenues. Right. Well, but, that's, well but you, the YouTube that's star. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not sure that's ever going to come to fruition. Oh, you never know. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there's so much good information out there and there's a lot of crap too. We know that, um, oh. uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of crap and, and, but you know, I, I do these little two minute with Todd video things and I recognize that they're not supposed to be, I don't want them to look super, you know, uh, slick with motion yeah, that's what graphics. I'm looking for. Yeah, like, yeah, this is not, I don't want that. It's me, you and Ron Paul doing too, right? <laughs> I just want to talk briefly about some business practice. So I call it two minutes, but it's like, you know, they're usually five to eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes at the long, but I, it's something that a freelancer, I think, can really just take and run with. And I usually keep it around things that I know people have asked me about. Now, why did you even think like, I'll, let me do a YouTube video. It's just another way to kind of get the information out. There's no money, obviously. There's no money in that for me. I mean, I'm like, what do I get? 100, 150 views or something. I mean, I'd love for that to get more views, but not even to monetize it. If if I could monetize it and keep it, keep it, you know, real and legit, great. You know, I'm not going to turn down any way to help, you know, keep my family afloat and business sure. afloat. But that is clearly not what I'm trying to do with these. Otherwise, I, I would have quit already, you know. And I, uh, But the impetus was to help spread the word on freelance business practices because I, you know, I get young students that have graduated. I get them before they graduate. They, they've flown out to my workshop from Michigan, from Ohio. They've flown out, they've taken it and they've been upset and they've been terribly distraught. And and when I see them, Matt, I look across and, oh. I, and I see my, I see my son. These are like kids my own age. And I'm like, whoa, man, like this ain't cool. Like I, I want to help in some way, but they need that information. 
Because right. the reality is the vast majority of young photographers are going to enter into freelancing. And a good number of my friends, veteran photographers, former staffers at the LA Times have had to transition. And that's and not easy either. Yeah. yeah. You know, but they have to learn new tricks and learn new ways in which to handle business. Because as you know, when you're a staffer, you don't care. You're, you're shooting and there's no issue about rights or turns no. or anything. That's the entire ball game when you're a freelancer, if you're going to make money. Right. You're so going you to make a living at it. Sure. Right. So, you know, I, that, that was the impetus to start doing those things. And if it picks up steam, great. My workshop didn't pick up steam right at first either. It took a number of years till people started to say, Hey, that's good. And other universities from Brooks to university of Arizona, UCLA is the main host. They've done it like 17 times. And, um, you know, and then ASMP started getting on board with certain chapters from Oregon to New Orleans to San Diego to, where else have I gone? Multiple places, uh, Atlanta, you know, ASMP chapters, and in in others, and in in schools, and it's it's good because it's, it's it was slow, but I don't even make much money doing that either. Right, right. <laughs> I don't. One of the things I make sure I do with that is that that it has to be low. The tuition has to be low, because I've had opportunities for others to host it here in LA. They charge like eight hundred to a thousand dollars for the two day workshop, which is very standard for a lot of their workshops. And I turned it down flat, right, out, flat yes. out. So I'm like, "Well, who am I going to get? The guy that drives a Tesla and is taking photography for like on you know on the side? No, right. I'm, I'm not. A, uh, that's not who I'm after. Yeah, here. I know who I'm after, and that is a uh, that's an not extraordinary the amount of money for yeah. them. And that's but but a lot of people do charge those things for if if you're charging that for your workshop. And you're hitting the target base that you want more power to you. That's not my target base. So when, when like ASMP and others have done it, they've been so great. They like make it available to their students for like 99 bucks for 15 hours, Matt. We're doing two full days, you know. Um, UCLA, it's a couple hundred dollars for the two full days. But I, I keep it low. And then what I do is I charge the host a flat fee. It's like, this is what I charge for my workshop. You guys can pay it. Oftentimes... They can make money, and I ask that they reinvest that into other educational workshops. And that's usually what the chapters that I've worked with with, with various organizations have right. done. It's great. It's a win-win for everybody, man. Do you make all the merchandise, you know, sales and all the stickers and the hoodies and the hats? <laughs> and it's, like a concert afterwards or, or a Dodger game, you're selling T-shirts and stuff? Uh, I got nothing. Nobody wants my name on there. Uh, that chance, shirtless man. photo of no you way, holding man. the 600? Dude, it's a dad bond. There's no shirtless photos with this guy. <laughs> I'm smart, yeah, man. Get your T-shirts yeah. in. They're large and two days of washing them, they're super small. Do you, do you know how many, the, so I pretty much started at like 2012, 2013 with the workshop. Do you know how many times I had people asking like, well, don't you have like a book or something you can give us? Because it's one, 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 not just one person, but one person put it exactly this way, but they all say the same thing. It's like drinking water from a fire hose because there's so much information that comes at you because I got you for two days and you should have been learning this for the last like 10 years. 20. Yeah. And if you've been in school, you should have been learning it for the last four years of your classes, but you're not. So I'm going to give it to you. So, you know, here comes a fire hose. Hold on. So they always ask like, do you have that? And I'm like, mm, no, nah. <laughs> sorry. I'm a photographer. I'm out there working. Like I don't have time to write a book. Bam. <laughs> COVID hits. And I was like, I'm going to sit my ass down and get this thing going. And I did. You know, and you wrote the book. I wrote a book. How's that going? Very good. When are we seeing it? Uh, end of May, May 31st. It's, it's uh, being published. I was, I was, um, I was probably, I was anticipating self-publishing. So I was really happy 
when one of the top publishers that I wanted to work with, which is always published the main photojournalism uh, uh, textbook, even okay. going back to, to my day. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rutledge is is in, in their division here at Focal Press in America. Uh, they decided it was fit right well with them. And um, so they took it on. It was it was it was a really it was a good learning process. Talk about like taking on new things and have anxiety and challenging. Yeah. And, so like, where did you, you start? You sit there and go, okay, well, what are we doing, Todd? I, I, I use a basis. <laughs> Do you lock the door and just I, go for I, it. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, well, my son's been out of the house for a number of years, and my wife worked, so it's kind of easy, you know. And uh, as far as no distractions, but I actually started it before the pandemic really hit. Um, it just and I was very busy shooting during the pandemic, but kind of the quietness of everything else, the rest of my life kind of closing down, gave me the extra time. The, the basis is a workshop, which is all about freelance business practices. And I, I, there, this is not a textbook. God, no. Like, last thing I wanted to write was a textbook. This is like, just almost like this conversation. A that It's a guidebook. Okay. And, and I make it very clear. This is a guidebook that has worked for me. So Bruce Lee said it best, man. Take what is useful discard what is useless and add your own. It's a famous saying in the martial arts world. And it, it, he studied philosophy at the University of Washington. He's a, if you read some of his writings, you'll be blown away. It's like, okay, we all know him as a movie star. This is an, a deeply intelligent man. And it, what he talks about with his arts, there's a book called Striking Thoughts. And of course it's applied to his martial arts, but it, it is so relevant to photography. It, I mean, that alone, take what is useful, discard what is useless, add your own. That's you, that's your salad, man. You know, like, That's so it. take my book, read what, what has worked for me. And if it works for you, feel free to use it. If it doesn't work for you, get rid of it. You don't have to. I am here to tell you, I say it on this podcast. I say it in my workshop. I say it multiple times in my book, which when it was peer reviewed, one comment was even, <laughs> might want to like dial that back. You don't need to keep reminding. It's like, it's only your point of view, but it is only my point of view. I'm telling you, this is what's worked for me. But here's what I'm saying. I have been doing this for 30 years and I'm still making a living at it. And I've never signed away my copyright. So I'm, I am here to tell you it ain't easy, but I, right. this is my guidebook. So I, hopefully it'll help. But I'm not saying this is the way because there is no the, in air, air quotes, way. There's your way. There's my way. There's, and if it works. If it works, use it, man. Yeah. You know? And that's that's so I, I use the the... the format of the workshop with kind of the basic structure of what I talked about. And then I evolved it a little bit and, and, you know, it, it was a learning process. It was a year, you know, it took me about six months to write. It was picked up pretty quickly. I was very happy by that. And then a bunch Did of Did you reach out to them or they reach out to you? No, I reached out to them. Yeah. And, um, just with a wing and a prayer, cold, like cold, cold reach, man. You know, I'm doing a book. Would you guys be interested? Well, this is just like with photo editors. Right. This is what they do. They want to find, you know, new topics and new talent. And, and an avenue. It's an avenue. They they make money. I make money. Right. Here, let me tell you, like, here's something I discovered about book publishing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't make much money. Uh, I think what draws people into the idea of self, self-publishing self is that you'll keep up 100% of the profits. After what I I learned going through the publishing process, oh my goodness, there's no way I could have ever done it at that level. There is a difference right. between like self-publishing and working with a publisher. This was extraordinary. I can't 
uh, they, they were great. Everybody was professional and friendly and helpful, but there was a lot. I mean, a lot that I had to do. And, a, and, and you it. put your heart out, man. I mean, it's like dropping your portfolio on somebody. You know, I'm, I'm, I recommended colleagues that I deeply respect for, for taking, be able to take time to read a few hundred pages or like 270 pages. And then they send it out to other people that they've worked with in the past. And then you get anonymous peer reviews back and you're like, <laughs> Oh shit, man, that kind of hurt. Like, really? You don't like that? It's like, you know, but that's reality. Right. But But I think it made it better. Right. You might rather get that now than sending it out on your own. Right. Everybody's like, this is shit. Yeah. And you know, there's going to be people that are be like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, man, no problem. That's fine. It's all good. It's all good. I I accept that you don't like it. I got no issue with it. You know, I'm doing this. I'm putting it out there to help. You know, the the royalties are are minimal. You know Um, this. If 100% of the people liked it, they're lying. Yeah, they're lying. They're completely lying. You want at least somebody to be like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you did something right. Right, young photographers love the mentors that are hard on you. Yes, love your professors when they tell you why that image doesn't work or what you could have done better. Okay, because that's the only way to get better. And it's that's not just some old guy talking down to you. It's like literally, man. I'm I'm still doing it. Like. I entrusted a publisher. I entrusted the process. They told me how to make it better. I didn't take it personally. I made it better. And then it went through like two of those and it went on. And then, you know, just the formatting and then, you know, really having to read my own book multiple times, which is trippy as hell, you know, and then finding mistakes and doing this and doing that. And then the hardest thing is the hardest thing is the time between like final manuscript submission and publishing, it, there's a lot that goes into not just the printing, the typesetting, and the and the final things. Is like my mind doesn't shut down that, so I'm constantly seeing new things right. to write. So I have just pages and pages of notes for the revision, and that's just a note. So there's going to be a significant revision, which I had agreed to in advance of the book anyway. So there will be a second book. It probably won't be for another year plus, just knowing how the process works. But like, I'm like, oh, can, can we like, can I slip this in? Can I, can I send you guys another 20 pages? They literally like, it's shut down. Like we can't do, this is just done. Right. But my mind doesn't stop because I think I it's always evolving. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, but it's evolving. There's yes. always some new relevance. It really is. Yeah. You know, and it won't be done. You'll be working on it another 10 years because something else is going to come and up. It's, and it's and it's very real. So, like, I'm always, you know, working, trying to find new clients so I get new contracts. And, I, I mean, there's real contracts in there. There's clauses from the contract. I, so you can see what they're saying. I And I put in real emails that are redacted, you know. But these are real emails. So you see how somebody is asking you for a license and to what to look out for when you see the right. vague how terms and stuff. You. How they approach you. What sort of... What sort of words are in there? I actually, I have a, a glossary in the book, but in the revision, I'm going to add a section that's called, and I actually just did a little thing on my YouTube called trigger words. Like, like you should, like these should be trigger words. They are for me, man. When I see them pop up in an email or something, it's like, okay. Boom, radar yeah, goes radar, up. Yeah, Whether good for bad or bad. Right. It could be like, I, I show one in the book and I show, talk about it in my workshop from a client that says, hey, Todd, we want to reuse these images from the, it was, the migrant surge uh, down along the border, uh, but they, it wasn't part of the original context that the contract calls for, what would the fee be? And I, I, I show that email and I'm like, this shows you not only the connection between the contract and licensing value, but there are good real people to work with out there. So I respond back, yeah, it was like, it's gonna be a small little picture, it's a few hundred dollars. 
okay, no problem. Boom. You know, like two weeks later, I get a, you know, deposit. That's it. It's simple. That's all you want. Yeah, it's oh, it. Lord, it's all you Lead, want. Let those things open up the opportunities to go out and, you know, God, if you guys like, you know, the price of, you know, cards. <laughs> It's like 100, 280 bucks or something for a nice new fast card. Like, whoa. You know, I need that money. Yeah. I'm not going to play. What led you to teaching? My, uh, <laughs> my professor. I was only a few years out of the program, and I was uh, at the Times. I was at the LA Times. Um, so uh, the... Were you intimidated with, the, with even I, the thought? I was a little scary because I'm thinking like, what do I know? You know, what can I share? So well, I, my thought's always been, and fortunately, I didn't have many professors like this, those who can't do teach. teach. Um, Matt, I will tell you that there is a, the reason that saying has been around as long as I think there is a very, very real part of that. Okay. And, and I, 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 my son went on to, you know, get a grad degree and I have tremendous respect. My mother went to Ivy league at 16. She went to Brown. So listen, I grew up in a family where it was, you know, education is very, very important and, and I respect it. But I also know that in this profession, in photography and photojournalism, man, you got to get on the streets. Yeah. Okay. You got to get on the streets. And if you haven't been on the streets in the last 15 years, and I don't mean literally like just literally on the streets in protests and so forth, but navigating the complex world of freelance photography, if you haven't, then you're probably full of crap because there's no way that you can really teach that because you don't know it. No. It has changed. It is what I do now is not even close to resembling what it was like 20 years ago. Not even. Ten. It, it's yeah. I mean, it's changed so the much. So, so if you can't do it, teach it. Is I do. I do have students. I have because I've taught for a long time that have gone through that pipeline, and they go on and they get their MFAs and go straight into teaching. And you can teach technique and theory and so forth. But what do you do for the students that you're teaching? What can you do if they're not going through that pipeline? So you might be able to shed some insight on like, oh, how to get into the MFA program at, at CalArts. Great. That's something I can't share with you. Right. Right. But that's a low percentage of photographers. Okay. Yeah. So what are you going to do for the one that's actually going to, you know, go out and photograph? Are you going to tell them what the freelance world is about? Are you going to be able to help them navigate it? Are you going to be help, help them find their way into their internships? Do you have any connection to the profession? Because the connections are going to help you get your... Right. Do you Your have connections just out. internships? Yes. Can I say, Absolutely. I know some of the Dallas Morning Absolutely. News. I got one of my students into, thankfully for Jimmy Colton was allowing this at Photo Fusion at a workshop in 2017. I said to one of my students, Cal State Northridge, I go, man, you're ready. You got to go get your book looked at. There's some great programs going on this whole weekend. It's in Florida. I can get you tuition free. Thank, you know, thankful for, for what Jimmy Colton was offering, but, but um, you're going to have to get yourself there anyway. And he went and he was there the whole weekend and he crashed on somebody's couch and he did the whole thing. That's what we need to be able to do for our students because I'm passionate about trying to help them. But, you know, the teaching for me at the time was um, I graduated. I went to work. I went and did the Simi Valley paper. I went to did the Hartford thing. And I came and I was at the L.A. Times. The publisher at the L.A. Times. I'm sorry. The editor at the L.A. Times okay. Valley section. His wife was my professor. Oh, yeah. 
So she was my professor as I was going through the program at, at Cal State Northridge. So she reached out and said, hey, you know, obviously I see all your work and you're good with this. Hey, you want to come in and teach a photojournalism class? And I went over and talked and I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. I literally thought I'll do it first semester or whatever. This is not my thing. I'm a, uh, I'm a shooter. I'm a shooter. Well, the opportunity not only was it see- fun and it because the highest form of learning is teaching, it's it was it was fun. It was it was like energizing to see you try to light somebody else's up eyes on fire. And a few years into it, maybe two thousand. So this might have been like four or five years into it. And these are adjunct classes, so you get like maybe one or two a semester, and then right. maybe a semester where they didn't fill it, and then you come back. She poked her head in my door and she says, "This one professor is retiring. Who is a chair? We're going to hire. You think you have interest?" And I said, I got a bachelor's degree. I can't be a tenured professor. She goes, you can if you co-enroll in the MFA program here and you can get tuition fee waiver. So basically I could get my, my master's of fine arts, which would take a couple years concurrently while I'm teaching. Right. And come out and be a tenured professor, basically. And it, I was working a lot. I was working a lot. I was traveling a lot. I was working a lot. Things were taking off. And I just said, it's not the right time for me. You know, it's not the right time. And I, so I didn't, you know, see, I wish that rule didn't apply. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many goddamn good photographers that right now, like I just had Paul Rodriguez on. Yeah. He should be teaching. Of course. Of course. He should be teaching just a course on just being a gentleman. Yeah. He's such a sweet human being. I agree a hundred percent. There's so many photographers like that. Like, and I don't want to say in the twilight of their career, but where they've got 30 years of battle scars, they can teach. And there's some universities that make it happen. So one of my, uh, one of the men I have most admired in my career was Eli Reed. And I had a chance to meet him way back during the day in the life shoot when I was assisting a photographer. And we ended up on a lot where Eli Reed was working. And I said, what are you doing here? He was shooting uh, Singleton's movie. That's what he did on the side. And he explained to me right then and there, we had this nice long conversation, sweetest best photographer and he's like yeah i do this it goes you know it pays pretty good and uh then i take it and then he goes off and he does his project for six months for magnum and i'm like boom my head blows up i'm thinking whoa i never even like really gave that a thought like what a great way to fund your projects or what a great way to like have a regular gig for like three months shooting movies like great movies for a great movie i mean not the you could just right. walk in and grab those, but like it was a different model that I really hadn't thought about that he takes out and he goes to work and he produces his great work. Well, Eli Reed is a professor at University of Texas, Austin. He doesn't have, he's not a, he doesn't have a terminal degree. They made it happen. And that there's Good other professors them. at other places and, and you can, you can make it happen, particularly if you're a uh, private university, they can, right, they right. can waive that for your professional experience. Now, you know, I'm not an Eli Reed. You know, I'm not a William Snyder. I'm not, you know, I'm not these guys with multiple Pulitzers and all that type of stuff. But yes, I agree so wholeheartedly that our higher educational institutions need more working photographers in their programs to better prepare. Because those that have taught in that program for 20 years, unless you're out there doing the same thing a lot. And I mean a lot. You don't know how it works. There's no way you could possibly prepare them. There's no way. There's none. There's no book that'll prepare you for it. Right. And, and and I know because those their students come to my workshop. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I was on a hiring committee for a school. I won't even name them. 
that they were trying to find a journalist for their advisor role that had a degree in journalism, a master's in journalism, and 30 years of experience. And I said, <laughs> you're not going to find him here. Like, that person doesn't exist. Right. If you have 30 years experience, you've been out humping it. Yeah. You've covered desert storm, right. riots, right. wherever. And then why would you have gotten your degree and then your master's and then go to work at where, like, it doesn't happen. Right. And- I have worked with plenty of good photographers that have degrees in nothing to do with photography, right. history, philosophy. Sagrado. That's, right. Sagrado. That, right. That's just no the degree. degree they had at the school they went to. Right. And then they were photographers right. at University of Montana. Right. And now they're right. wonderful. Yeah. I it agree just, wholeheartedly. Oh. I mean, it's, it, you know, what I've, what I've, jokingly said to my colleagues, you know, that I teach with is, yeah, my master's is actually, you know, in the profession. Right. It's not in a classroom. And I understand that, you know, to get an MFA and a master's, you have to do work. I mean, as a, as a creative artist, you have to do work. But I've been doing work for 27, 28 years, 30 years. Okay. So that's a master's degree. Right. You know, let's just, let's just be real. That's why the, the better it up against anybody, I'll put it up against anybody. And that's why you see the students coming out of the certain programs like RIT with William Snyder teaching there. And I'm pretty sure he does not have an advanced degree. He could, I, I'm not sure, but I think the world of him as a photographer, I mean, obviously right. um, in many different ways as a photojournalist and a tour photographer for the who and you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, he's in, in just a real person. Like he'll, he'll tell you things you need to hear. Um, those students, like his students are taken, literally taken to meet editors in New York and DC and to see how things work and to open up those channels for his students. Is it any surprise his students, you know, and not just his, but other similar universities with Syracuse and, and, and UT and others that eat what those, I see those students, they're all out there working. Right. You know, because they've, They've they've forced that floodgate open. They forced that channel open. That that tenured professors with 20, 25, 30 years that haven't been in the business, it can't happen. It can't. And I, you know, it's just it's just reality. So the the, the higher education, which I've been really raging about how they run things for yeah, a let's, long let's time. Open up that can. Open it up and 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 either bring in new people that don't fit the certificate degree from the piece of paper, but have it through the experience, or you know, find new ways in which to educate your students so they're better prepared because you you have to navigate this field to know how it works. If you're going to make a living in the field. Right. If you're going to make a living, you know, as a photographer. And that's that's something I teach. So the, the course I teach now and have for the last several years, I, I had taken time away from CSUN and was teaching elsewhere. And one of the uh, regular adjuncts, professors that was teaching a bunch of classes, was going to leave CSUN, but she took my workshop. And she went back to CSUN on the art side now instead of the photojournalism side and said, do you guys know Tom? And they're like, yeah, we know Tom. We haven't seen him for a long time, but we know him. Well, I'm going to leave. You guys should bring him in. So they called me up and said, hey, you want to teach over here? So I went and talked to him and I said, what, what can I teach? Goes, what do you want to teach? I said, well, what was she teaching? She says, like, advanced students, you know, with studio lighting and, and, um, and then... Um, uh, graduate students. And I said, can I incorporate freelance business practices? And they go, you can do, basically you can do whatever you want. Like, we would love that. We would love you to do that. And I'm like, done. 
let's do it. You know, so I teach, you know, we, it's a lot of hands-on in the studio type work, mm-hmm. uh, but because they're advanced students, I don't have to like teach them, you know, this is a C-stand. This is, you know, <laughs> sometimes I wonder how somebody got into their class, but you know, that, right. that aside, but I'm able to mix in a, a fair degree of, of uh, lectures on, on things like their final project is not only their final project, their final thing that they were shooting, but they have to have a functional professional portfolio website. And we, we, I don't just tell them that. God love you, We, we break it down. Like, I, I give them a list of, like, all these different website platforms that they can use. I, I literally tell them, this is a link for the free student demo. This is what it offers. And we talk about it. And then the very, so the next to last class, we do a peer review of their websites so that all of them can say, yeah, I kind of like the way this functions, man, you know. And we, and we hash it out a little bit. Right. So when they're done, they at least have a functioning professional portfolio, a, a website. Good, because yeah. I'm a firm believer that education is failing photog- photographers and education in general. It, it's not preparing kids. It depends on the, it definitely pretend, per, depends on the, on the program. Because as you can imagine, having had insight into the in higher education, I was really uh, advising my son when he was picking his college. And with what he wanted to go into, um, I said, it's more of a state system. Now he graduated from a really tough high school. USC's Rossier School of Education named his high school, which is high-tech LA, uh, as the number one most difficult, challenging charter high school in the state for college preparedness. Um, So he was challenged. We pulled him out of the local school because I wanted him to take it to another level. Right. Anyways, long story short, when he was applying, we looked at the programs. But we didn't, we, I mean, we printed out the programs. We got into a bunch of schools and we printed them out. And then we looked all the way into senior year. And I'm like, oh, what's this internship program? Like, whoa, let's check into this. Well, what it ended up being was the University of San Diego State had already opened up multiple channels for internships, for placing these kids. And the best ones in his field were the most sought after. So because we had that knowledge and we prepared him early on for the first couple years, he, you couldn't get into that internship program till you were senior. I said, screw that, bro. You're going to come home. You're going to go get your own internships. So by the time your ass is in that program, you have to apply for the senior internship program. You're going to have three or four internships. Right. So he did. So they like, of course, they took him into the program, limited number of seats, something like 100, right? Still kind of big, undergraduate, senior year. Comes time to list your top places you want to intern at. They had just the best that he wanted to for his career. And he listed one, two, and three. He got one and two. And two, first time it had ever happened. They both offered him. The two places that he wanted to work both offered him internships and he had to go back to the internship coordinator and say, hey, I, I don't I don't know what to do. I want to take one, but I don't want to give up two. She says, hey, you want to do one semester of one and one semester at the other? It's like, can I do that? Yeah. So come back. You got them both. And it launched his career. So that program has a ton of adjunct people. And even the professor, so the internship coordinator is an adjunct. She's been an adjunct there for 20-something years. Wow, they really? They have their tentacles in the profession, within the community. So he it opened things for him. Right. Now, he, I'm sure, would tell you, yeah, I took a lot of classes that have no relevance. Well, welcome to higher education. Right, right? yeah. <laughs> but it's Shocking. More, yeah, it's, it's about more than just, you know, 
the skill set. You know, it's about critical thinking and, you know, being responsible for yourself and all these other things. But, but that university, we still give them money, Matt. I mean, not a lot, hundred bucks here, $200 there when they're doing their annual donations right. and stuff. And we give to their student food bank and stuff like that. But that's the reality. So I think you got to f- hopefully find that place. If I was pushing photographers, young photographers towards a, a new place, I would say, I, I give them, this will be in the revision of the book, but I give them criteria interview the school and ask them, can I speak to at least three different recent graduates? One, two, three, four, five years out. Can I, you know, tell me where have you placed? Where are they working? Do you know? It'll tell you a lot about the program. Absolutely. It would. Don't you think? I mean, it'll literally tell you like, are they in tune? Is it really working? Or am I working? You know, Brooks got in trouble for claiming a very high, uh, a very high placement rate for their graduates. And it was a placement rate, but they were indicating or alluding to the fact or trying to make people think that it was within the profession, but it wasn't. They were working outside of the field. And then I forget which agency came and they put them on probation. They had to change the way they were doing things at Brooks. Right. And they now they have to they had to literally list like how many are working within the field. Yeah, because no, it's, it's a different number. It's a huge, it's a huge difference. Right? It's always driven me nuts. Like what do you have to take? You know, you uh, still have to take PE. Like I'm in college and I want to be an accountant. Why do I got to take PE? Right. You know, the state schools you got to take women's studies. Why don't I have to take business practice? Right. I'd, right. I'd much rather them not take PE and women's studies, and they have to take business. So right. when they have to understand the business side of wherever right. they're going. What does a 401, or I, even where I work, I got kids asking me, what does our 401k do? Right. I'm like, it's the company giving you allowance, basically. It's like <laughs> your parents analogy. giving you allowance. It's the company giving you allowance. Put every penny you can into it now, yeah. and it's going to make you money in the future. Yep. And the, the earlier they understand that, the better. Yes. But I, I agree wholeheartedly in developing that cross- Banging into the mic. My apologies. The <laughs> cross, right. the cross platform yeah. learning. Uh, it's and that's the difference between when I graduated the program and then where it is now. You didn't need that then. We all went and got jobs. Right. Those staff jobs. Those staff jobs don't exist anymore, well, guys. Can we just be real? How Can many we internships were there when we were younger? Yeah, they were available everywhere. Oh my God, the only times right. had like seven. Right. There was the half year, full right. year, right. two year. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, things have changed, so the education has to change with it, but it changes like a glacier. You know, right. it just doesn't. It moves so slowly. So slow. You know, so we have to make sure that, and it's important to me. I try to I try to raise awareness of it all the time. So, I mean, you, you've gotten, again, this goes back to your being that tree, the workshop. Where did you decide, okay, I got to preach even more to the guys who really need some help and the gals who just got laid off from name this place that you decided I'm putting together a two day workshop. Why, why did that come about for you to step that another step forward? I, I think a lot of frustration, to be honest with you, a lot of frustration with the profession and, and colleagues, not all colleagues, obviously, right. um, because of, I wouldn't have developed that workshop without the support of people like Youngie Kim and others at Contact Press and um, uh, really saying like, yeah, you should, this will be really good, you know, and I kind of needed that catalyst a little bit. Um, But the frustration with seeing how readily freelancers were just giving away everything and, and as, you know, 
rates weren't changing and you know I i'm mean, shocked how the rates have yeah well, i show budged. these in graphs and i make this point it's like guys if you feel like you're struggling more even though we're 20 years into our profession it's real because the cost of living obviously goes up we all know that sure and that, but the rates aren't going so your money goes less i mean this is this is econ 101 i mean this is high, high school econ so figure it out but but uh, it came from frustration and, and then i would get a lot of people asking me questions, you know, and I just finally decided, let me just see if I can put this down into something. And the first iteration I was, you know, I came along and you were there and, and I did uh, a, a keynote speak, uh, a speaking engagement for the uh, Sports Shooter Academy. And that was kind of like the first trial of like, let me see how this comes together. And it was, it was only like an hour and a half or something like that. Was it a bit of kind of what you did for a semester of school, just kind of condensed? Was that your thought process? Um, no, because it take longer than a semester <laughs> at school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the workshop has obviously evolved and it, it has become, you know, not only bigger, but it's become, uh, it's changed. You know, I take sections out and I new, add new sections and I, you know, make things more relevant to as things change for me, I try to make them available. So, um you know, I, I guess in that little way, you know, I try like I did with Mercury. It's like, okay, well, I pulled my insurance policies for Mercury. And it's like, that's not going to stick Mercury, Matt. No, <laughs> no. You know, but at least I can flip Mercury the bird and be like, yeah, well, you didn't get to, you know, treat me like, you know, just a, an idiot. So right. uh, it's my way of trying to say, I'm going to try to make a difference. Whether or not I can is, is going to be determined over time. I actually can see now it has made a bit of difference because I think there's not only because of me by any means, but I think there's more attention now being paid to these contracts and licensing and rates and things. Not enough, but definitely more so than eight years ago when I began the thing and I started talking about this and no one even really understood what a work for hire contract meant. They might have heard the term, but they didn't really even care to understand it. They were signing it and wanting a check. Yeah, that's it. You know, so really it's just like, man, let's just do whatever I can. I mean, I, so what I give up, you know, a half a dozen weekends a year to go in and teach and and do what we're doing now, which invigorates me anyways, like discuss the business and ways to make things better and hopefully send another couple of dozen photographers out into the world where the next time they get an agreement and I get those emails, Matt, I get them all the time. There's testimonials on my, on my website, on my workshop page where, where they literally say like, the next week I got a request for use and I did what you said and asked the right questions. And guess what? They paid some money. <laughs> Shocking, it worked. So like, can I can I tell a quick little story yes, about yes, CBS? Yes. You might understand uh, this. this uh, so this is related sense. exactly to this. If you don't know what to ask or how to handle things, then, then in, by no fault of your own, it's not going to happen. So, uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago, so... Towards the end of my time working under the Good Sports Illustrated contract, I had a, 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 a assignment to go spend some time with um, Brant Snedeker, a PGA Tour pro in Nashville. Um, he was having a hot year, um, won a couple of tournaments, and you know they wanted this behind the scenes thing. You go go hang out with him for a couple of days or whatever. So I'm like, cool. So and then they had something for me in Arkansas uh, a couple of days later with a female golfer. So they're like, hey, this is going to work out perfect. So I I fly out to Nashville, hang out with him do some stuff with his family. He's got young kids, nice wife, great house. They were moving. Just, just, it was cool. It just worked out fine. All I did is hang out. I just took pictures of hanging out. 
SI runs it in their Masters preview because he's the hot guy at Tour running into April with the Masters, and they run this standalone Masters preview issue. And it's all that behind-the-scenes stuff. They run a big piece. Cut to Sunday of the Masters. I wake up to an email Sunday morning from Brant's agent, and it says, hey, man, CBS wants a bunch of those images. They, they CBS broadcasts the Masters. Mm-hmm. CBS wants a bunch of those images. Can I get them? Because if he wins, it's going to go into a video montage as they fade off. You know, they kind of run the CP thing. Yep. They got, you got all the good stuff. It's all his kids and all, you know, can we get it? So what would you do? If you don't know any better, you're like, oh, wow, that'll be great. Let me, let me send them to the agent. Don't send them to the agent. Don't send them to don't anybody. Send them your mother. anywhere mm-hmm. until an agreement is in place. Yes. Period. That's it. So that's how you just keep that in mind. So I respond back real nice to him. Hey, great. This is really exciting. Yeah, I'm pulling for Brant. You know, true. Cool guy. Super cool guy. Right. You know, I'm pulling for Brant. Have CBS. Give me a call or send me an email. Here comes an email. Hi, Todd. This is blah, 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 whatever. I think his name is Andy at, at CBS. It was really nice. I, I think you know, I know that these, bastard. Yeah, I got, <laughs> we got these, you know, we got this thing going. Basically, same thing. Uh, you know, I see you got the images. Hey, man, can you send us, can you send us a selection of images? We want to use them. Send back. Hey, thanks so much for your interest in my work. Um, I'd be happy to license these images to you if you should need them. Um, now, all my images now I have to take a step back because everything is done methodically. All my images go through a workflow when I do a shoot. They're already up on my site. They're in an unlisted gallery. So all I had to do is literally in two seconds, grab the link to that gallery. There's no permission downloads. All they can do is view them. I know they're viewing them because I'm going to put a password on them. So I put that link in the email, said, here's some images from that shoot. If you're interested, please let me know. We can work out a licensing agreement. Boom, send it off. Ding. Oh, crap. Did that not go through? Oh, no, it's a reply. <laughs> and it came that quickly. And it says, oh, that's great. We we can't pay for any uh, images because we have an agreement with the AP. Tap, 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 tap. Understood. No problem. Thanks for checking. Go ahead and check with the AP. Thank you. Send it back. Ding. Here comes my email. Open it up. <laughs> we checked. AP doesn't have them. Send back an email. Yes, I know. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? What, I mean, why are you telling me you have an agreement with the AP? So can you get the images for free? Okay, go get them from AP. Okay, they don't have them. Great, you don't get the images for free. Because AP struck a massive corporate deal, licensing deal with you, I'm not, I'm not part of AP. So, I mean, that's like me walking into Fred Seagal on Rodeo Drive and going, Dude, that white shirt, I, I saw a white shirt at Target the other day. Give me for 10 bucks. I mean, come on. It's just, it's so nonsensical. So he responds back. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can get some money. So it's like, great, let me know. You know, like, I don't know, 20 minutes later, hey, we have a budget. Okay. Okay, what do you want? He goes, I want, I would like to use two images, but can we make the license contingent upon him winning? I said, of course, I'm not going to charge you a fee. You know, and the guy's not going to win and you're not going to use the images. I'd like to. Yeah, I mean, let's be like, be a good person, right? So we struck a licensing deal for a couple of images to go into a video. And again, it's all about the term. So it was only for use in that one video on that one day, in that one broadcast 
That's what you're asking for. That's what you're getting. I'm not sending CBS Sports images of Brant Snedeker without the specific restrictions on the use. That's what you ask for. That's what I give you. You come in to Chipotle and ask me for a burrito with guacamole. I give you a burrito and guacamole. I don't throw a bunch of other stuff on top of it. Right? You ask for I give it to you. And done. He didn't win. <laughs> but whatever. You know, but that's 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 the nature of how those things work and how you have to know how to answer certain questions and not only answer certain questions, but address what isn't being asked. I love how Andy somehow found in his drawer a budget. Miraculously. Yeah. Miraculously. What? We had no budget. Now we've got a budget. Right. And and and, and here's what I have to say about that. Even if, if they'd said, well, we still can't, because this happened to me. I, I got a request for uh, use of uh, an image that uh, I had shot to show you how weird this can be of two brothers in a Sports Illustrated shoot um, at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Those brothers went on to found a food company and they were in the great, amazing food truck race, which is a huge <laughs> program put on by HGTV. HGTV contacts them and says, we love this image we found of you online. That guy contacts me knowing that he doesn't have the rights and said, hey, these guys want to use this image. Would it be okay? I said, have them contact me. They contact me. We go through the whole thing. HGTV says, we don't pay for images. I said, okay, best of luck. They wanted to wrap the truck with it. You know, I don't, I didn't even know the program, but my wife made me go look. They wrapped the, the whole big food truck with it. They wanted the, now HGTV. I'm, I'm sorry, not HD, the Food Network. Oh, the Food Network. The yeah. Food Network, and like it's any smaller. They didn't have a budget for it. So, okay, that's your choice, but I'm not giving you my image. What is this we don't pay for images that's, crap? I got the email. Show the email in my I workshop. I know, but yeah. that's just <laughs> such a load of bullshit. But, but here's what they do. You know what it's called. Do you guys all work for free then? No, and that's the exposure carrot. So, you know, they'll, they'll try. And, and with young and experienced photographers or even photographers that haven't understood how it really works that have been in the staff world their whole life, they may think, oh, that's great. You know, maybe they'll put my name on the truck or something. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you but. put but, my name, my phone but number. But I can't drive that truck into my, my credit union and pay my mortgage. No, you can't. So. That, oh, yeah. God. But, I mean, that's happened so many times. I don't even, it's just, it's comical. It's almost, I mean, I can write my responses. And I'm always professional and courteous and, and polite, even though on this end I might be screaming. But, it, you know, I, I think when it pops out <laughs> right. on their end with the I email, know. it's you very professional. You have to business yeah. taught but, all yeah, of that hat on. And yeah. I'll respond politely. But I'm not giving you an image. Hell no. I don't give my mother an image. <laughs> Why am I going to give you one? Please, man. Give your mom an no, image, bro. No, What's she's wrong paying with you? for that printing. I didn't make my son pay for a print. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should not be in the book. Everybody pays. Let Everybody. Me, let me tell you. When I did a shoot of the Dallas Cowboys front line in Oxnard, which was a bad shoot because they didn't want me to set up a bunch of shade and it was noon in like August and they're wearing white and I need the whole line. And they're line, black guys. And they're black so guys. So black guys. In, <laughs> right? So I need to light this right. I want these guys to look good. You know, I want it to look good. And I, you know, I needed to scrim off everything. Right, you needed right? 60 I mean, feet of oh, scrim. Oh yeah, no. The editor, God love him. We all love him. was like, we don't need to do the budget for that. Just do the best you can with it. So I'm blasted light in, you know. But you can't, it's that weird balance, it's not too much. It's that weird balance, man. Because you can't Boom. blow out the whites. The whites, right? Okay, so thank you. Right. Right? I mean, you, this is not going to be a good shoot. No. So I do the best I can, but they, you know, it's hot. They're already in early training camp, and they want to get done with training camp and go golfing, which is what you do at yep. training camp, right? So 
I forget which one it was, but there's a couple of them that were like kind of being a little bit squirrely. Yeah, man. You know, giving you the toot and acting like, ah, you know, hurry up, man. You've done this before, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay, great. Comes out, they use it to open up the spread to page. Guess who's calling Karen at SI Pictures to get prints for mom and dad? Right? The squirrel. The squirrel. So, <laughs> so the guy calls me up. Uh, I forget which one he was, you know. And, uh, you know, they were acting just kind of like, you know, they, they just, they, they weren't very nice. They, but I've experienced that. I mean, they were just giving me a really hard time. So, so I said, who is it? And he said, hey, and I said, I don't want to cut a deal. So you, you quote whatever the thing is. But they were looking to get a deal, for like multiple big prints, like wall size prints. And I go, you quote them whatever you think, Karen. And she quoted them something like a grand for a print. They wouldn't go for it. So, okay, well, you ain't getting a deal. If you'd been nice to me, I might have given you a deal. Right. <laughs> you were super sweet. I gave Brad Snedeker prints. Yeah. First family. But guess what? You also signed an agreement that those no images can ever be put on anything electronic, social media or anything. He signed it. I said, great. No problem. Hey, man, I came in. I hung out with you and your family. I got these great shits. No problem, dude. Go get some prints done. I gave them the files. But, I mean, they're copyrighted and I have a, an agreement in place. And they've never popped up anywhere. Right. No, I've... Like I've worked with people and and it's so interesting, like who wants what and who cares? Like I did this huge, extremely elaborate photo shoot with Shaq and he's got this no, just enormous white tuxedo with oh, a hat, but oh. he didn't have a cane. Oh no. So Gotta I, have a hat I and cane. I brought <laughs> a cane and it was, this is a multi-million dollar man and giving him that white cane, he lost his mind. Did he was he? so excited. Was he? He's jumping around. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, I had previously, like three years earlier, had done a Superman photo shoot with him where he's tearing open his jersey and he's got Superman on it. And he asked to keep that jersey. And I'm like, all right, we'll do that. Well, for the tuxedo one, he, without me knowing, he signed Aww. the cane and left it. <laughs> but it's so, Aww, it's like so odd. It's like, uh, with love from Shaq, from the smallest photographer who ever took my picture. <laughs> that is so <laughs> right? Just like, so, so dicking it to me. And right. it's just like, that's, that's great. worth it. Like that kind of stuff. Where it's like, great. That's like, great. Just be cool and be I'll cool. give you something. Right. Right. You, you give me, you bust my balls. It's right. already 900 degrees. It's Oxnard. Right. I'm blasting you right. with light. I'm trying right. to make I'm you sweating. look good. I'm yeah. like, man, I know this picture is not going to look good anyways. Right. You know, they don't even know how much I fought to try to make it. Right. Make them look good. Yeah, you know? I'm trying to make you yeah. look like a Vanity Fair yeah. cover. Please give me like the opportunity. Just Do you remember Albert Bell? Yeah. I yeah. had to go shoot him in uh, for the Sporting News in sports uh, in Vegas. Yeah. And uh, he had had alcohol uh, DUI issues. Okay. He agreed to do the interview, but he, uh, under the pretenses that whoever the writer was, was not going to ask any questions about, um, DUIs or anything. Okay. Okay. Whatever. I'm going to take a cover photo of him. Three days I had to wait. He kept blowing us off three days. And then he says, be at the Luxor. He was golfing. He was a huge golfer. Be at the Luxor at whatever time it was. So I go over to the Luxor Right. And I get a, I, I tell them what I'm doing. I said, I need a, I need a room for a couple I'll, whatever. I'll pay for the room. I, I just need an open room. So I set up a little, you know, these rooms. It's like, I'm doing like this little thing against a backdrop. I'm like I got a bat, I got a ball, I got everything. He's going to come over from the course. He's not going to talk about, uh, you know, DUIs or anything. So we do a couple like really standard shots just to get something because he might get up a walkout at any time. Just yeah. get the shot. Right. And then I'm like, Hey man, like, 
I know you're in a hurry. You don't want to talk, but I just a little bit of an idea. It'll be really cool for the cover. Like we're all going to talk baseball here. How about put the baseball in your mouth? Let's talk baseball. You're tired of people. I literally tried to sell him. Like you're tired of people talking about everything but baseball. I mean, he was he was going to be the next home run king. Right. I mean, he was going to be the one that busted. Uh, 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 what's his name's record? Yes. I, not, 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 yeah. not, 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 not McGuire. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was going to be the next big one, right? He, he was, was, he was oh, mashing with, with he was mashing everything. He was, he was a talk of the sports world. I'm like, let's just talk baseball. And he, the eyes clicked and you could see it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. What else you got? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I got nothing else. Let's just finish this up. There's nothing worse when they dodge you like that yeah. for like two or three oh, days. Oh man, I was like, Gwen I kept on having to, to call Fred at the tournament. I'm like, he didn't show, man. You want me to stay? I'm, I'm, I'll stay. But you know, like every day they're paying me. You know what I mean? Right. So we got to cover it. It wasn't very good. Oh boy. What What do you look at? What uh, What websites do you go to 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 keep in tune? See what's going on? Do you, I mean, there's not many bookstores where I used to like thrive mm. going to bookstores. But where are you looking, getting your views and seeing stuff? I, I, a lot of places. Um, you know, I have my kind of regular trove of websites. You know, that are news. You know, uh, based websites. So I kind of see what's going on. Obviously, New York Times, Washington Post. Politico. Uh, do you dive into their photo galleries? I do. I do. Yeah, because I love to see what's going on. I also follow them all on social media so that I can kind of see what's going on. Um, uh, you know, I have a number of uh, websites, you know, bookmarked um, for photography, um, a lot of portrait type stuff websites. I love looking at uh, Joe McNally's work, uh, Lindsay Adler's work, you know, a lot of the a lot of the well-known names. Right. Um, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time looking at individual photographers. Like I'm looking to go hire them, but if I see something that's obviously posted that I really like, you know, I'll kind of go take a quick look at that work and, you know, just to see like, wow, what a, what a great set of work. I'm also usually looking for ways to inspire my students. Right. Yeah. Or, or those that are following me, you know, it's like, Hey man, have you guys seen this? This is like really, really good work. That's <laughs> right. like really great work. Um, where else do I look? I miss those days of sitting in a bookstore. Yeah, I do. And I still, you know, I, I still try to pick up like, you know, print publications when I'm, when I'm around them, you know, a doctor's office or something like that. Or there is a book. I do have a newsstand close to me already. It's still on Ventura Boulevard and I, it's, it's there and it's very oh. popular. You know, I think there's an older generation over in that area. So right. they, they get enough people dropping by, but you know, not a lot, of, not a lot is published in print anymore. It's not, know? it's not. It sucks. I wish it was. I remember going like New York and just going through all those old yeah. bookstores and yeah. just being like, oh, the photo yeah. books were fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Aperture and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I used to love those things. Yeah, I know. And and I drew a lot of inspiration from them. Yes. I mean, my, my bookshelf, you know, obviously has, you know, a lot of Salgado's work, has a lot of uh, Eli Reed's work. You know, I, I have some unknown obscure photography. Not I shouldn't really say that that might be disrespectful but people like pat crow who most most photographers haven't heard of but was like a, understand a photographer yeah. back east at the delaware uh, uh the wilmington delaware paper but right. he won like every year he would win that region's photographer of the year and one year i saw a book and it's like the best community-based photojournalism like i've ever seen with that old school hand of god burning and stuff oh. but just amazing images from his street and community and just like this guy is amazing so i, I love work like that i love 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 work like that because it 
just reminds you that you can make great images anywhere you go. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you don't have to be the one with the biggest social media bullhorn out covering the biggest news of the day. You can go make a really inspiring photograph, you know, down the street from your house. When you hear that shutter, does that still make your heart like, you know, feel fond? Or you want mirrorless? Uh, <laughs> no, nah. well, I did, but I haven't even shot it yet because I'm waiting for the rest of my equipment. That, that, that black brick sitting over there? Yeah, it's an expensive black brick. Yeah, uh, yeah it does. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love it. I, I, I just love it. It, it You know, and as, as often happens as our careers advance, you know, and you start to get pulled in different directions and you take on new things that are exciting, sometimes you're not always out photographing. And But boy, when you get out and you start taking pictures of whatever it is. So my interests are varied. Um like very varied. Um, you know, I saw Dan Winters speak not too long ago at a oh, thing I was at. Where? It was, um, it might've been Northern Shore Course. It might've been Photo Fusion. I was, okay. You know, when you go speak at these things and then it's like, okay, I'm done speaking. Like who, who, who's, who's talking or who's right. selling stuff? And you just grab coffee and you go running in and you watch and he's great. Oh man, he's great. But what, and not only is he great, it's like one of the things that he was addressing at that time was like, I'm a photographer, so I find inspiration from bees. <laughs> I find inspiration from news. I find inspiration from incredibly technologically difficult to shoot, you know, uh, uh, imagery of lasers. I, you know, whatever. He's just he, his interests are so varied, and I love that he was showing all that because I am too. You know, I love to work in my yard. I love to work in my house. Uh, sometimes I'll just take pictures. I love to be in nature. I started a whole different archive because I'm up in the Eastern Sierra so much. So, oh, that's great. So years ago, I started like, okay, I have all this work. I might as well just separate that in the archive. And not a lot of licensing is generated there, but it does. It also generates a lot of traffic. It's also raised my awareness for some assignment work. So it's, it's paid off. And it also... Works at a business expense because every time I'm up there, winter and summer, you know, I'm, 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 you know, using those expenses against my royalties. Right. So, but I, you know, I love to be in nature, but I also love to be in the middle of some, you know, social event that's happening, you know, some event in the street or, and I also love most, mostly to be telling stories. Um, what still lights your fire? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. To, to find something that's relevant and to tell a story that everybody thinks they've heard maybe a little differently. Okay. And I, it's not easy. You know, it's not, it's not easy. So, you know, a lot of time that is by, by spending way more time on something than anybody else has. Yeah. You know, which is not always easy and, and definitely not something you're getting assignments for any of these. Anyway. We're so goddamn lucky. We, what we do, what we do. Yeah. Even though we've said it, yeah. we said it off right. podcasts as our guidance counselors totally screwed us and we probably should have done something else. <laughs> right. Or at least, you know, gone commercial or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. They're like, you know, stick with the accounting and that'd be yeah. great for yeah, you. Yeah. Time. But you know, how many... We're rich with experience and the the photographers that listen to this know that, you know, and I, I, we have so many stories and so many fun things to talk about. And, you know, the time I, I went and shot Halle Berry and I had no idea who she was. And when I hung up the phone and told my wife who I was shooting, I couldn't pronounce her name. And my wife was like, Halle Berry. And I'm like, yeah. And she's, he's like, do you know who she is? I'm like, "Uh, no, (laughs) no. Tell like, me. I don't know celebrities. (laughs) You know, this was way back in like 2000 or something. And then she, my wife's like, oh, you'll know. This so beautiful I go woman and I photograph her and I'm like, oh my God, you are so beautiful. She was so nice, which makes it even more difficult to shoot. It's like, I can almost get through a shoot easier when I just need to concentrate on getting the shoot. But you're so nice and you're talking to me and, and you're just, 
you glow beauty, not just physical, but like she was just so nice, you know? Right. And, and it was such a short shoot, but it was like, I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, you were so right. She was like, awesome. And but she, I had no idea who she was. But she knew exactly how to do what you wanted. I did. I did. And it was a job years ago for USA Today, but it was, and it's licensed, you know, I held on to those rights and stuff. But, but again, the point is like, how many people do, do, you know, th those are the types of, we kind of take for granted now to have those stories. Right. But those, that's not anything, that's kind of unique. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all those. What all accounting those, stories would we have? Right. How about, how about the story of flying back from covering the uh, uh, replacement baseball's uh, 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 spring training? <laughs> and who gets on the yeah. flight and sits next to me but Kurt Russell? He, we, 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 we fly, Steve Elling and I, who was a writer at the LA Times and then with CBS Sports forever, and he's still out there. Uh, we were coming back from doing this, and we land in Denver, and here comes Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell sits down. Sits down, like, uh, next to me, but across the aisle on a, on a Southwest flight. Right. Okay, now, Kurt Russell is huge in baseball. Huge. Like, he right? owns that AAA team, right? right? Right. There's a great documentary yeah. on that, too. Bastards of Baseball. Yes, it's just yeah. the funniest, best. It's like just so good. But I'm I'm like, okay, I know that's Kurt Russell, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk to him because what do I say to Kurt Russell? <laughs> Steve, I think Steve, Steve broke it. It's like, hey, man, how Matt, how's Matt Franco doing? And, and Matt was his uh, nephew, I believe, or John. No, Matt. Yeah, any. Uh, whichever one it what is, I don't know. Yeah, Franco. he had a, he playing for the Mets. <laughs> so, so uh, he's like, "Oh, uh, they just start talking," and then we say, "Like, oh yeah, we're the LA Times. We're coming back from uh, covering, you know, the baseball." Thing. Oh my God, we talked. You know, you've been on these flights. It's yeah. like suddenly, like the conversation never stopped. Yeah, <laughs> we get off the flight, and there goes Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, who look great you, too. Bye, they, yeah, Kurt. it's like yeah. see you later, Kurt. <laughs> see you in Malibu. Yeah, you know. All of a sudden, your buds. Or the times like I shoot uh, Matt Weiner uh, for Sports Illustrated, and the next morning we fly to Hawaii for vacation. So I'm shooting Matt Weiner to the sports camp, and 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 he, he was he had just finished up, uh, you know, at, at SC, and Pete Carroll was all done with him. And the next morning we fly to Hawaii, and we and we're vacationing. It's like we're taking a vacation with my son, and we go down to the pool, and who's in line in front of me but Pete Carroll? And I'm like, oh gosh, this is so weird. I'm like, uh, Mr. Carroll. I'm like, hey, my name's Todd Bigelow. I'm a Sports Illustrated. I shot Matt yesterday. Oh, no way, man. Are you serious? Yeah, he told me he was doing that shoot. I said, yeah, so I'm talking to Pete. Like, and he's like, we're talking, we're talking. He's like, I'm like, hey, see you later. Hey, take it easy. Next day, we go to the North Shore, and we're going to go on a hike on the Kaului Trail. And I hear this, I'm stalking Sports Illustrated. I look behind me, and here comes Pete and his wife. That's suddenly Pete and I are like, like we've been my friends or yeah, something. It's like, forever. it's just so weird. You know, it's so weird. It's just so weird. We are absolutely blessed. Yeah. 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 Those are fun stories. What's the future hold for you? What do you got going on? Um, you know, definitely, you know, still shooting. I, I'm actually working on a, 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 I had to make my screen go dark so you didn't see it. Oh, you know, secret, <laughs> secret stuff. No. no, I have a, I have a, a project that I'm trying to, uh, two different projects, but kind of evolved into one project that I'm trying to get placed. Um, uh, that's kind of a retrospective of the last year. Okay. Um, so I'm working has on that. Has it been an interesting year? I, it I, has I, been. I haven't noticed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's been very different. Very different. And and thankfully, I found a, a couple of ways to tell stories that kind of others were telling, but in ways that were different enough and, and more involved. 
So I'm working on that uh, right now. Um, definitely still working. I'm actually thinking I'm going to start writing just to get ahead of the game. Revision the revision for the book. Right. Part two. Yeah, because it does take a while. So you know, part one's out at the end of this month. Or Where just can they the book. find part one? You can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's called. The Freelance Photographer's Guide to Success, okay. Business Essentials. Um, it is, uh, you can also find it on Rutledge or go to my, if you go to my uh, uh, Business of Photography workshop, uh, it's pinned at the top on Twitter. Okay. It's pinned at the top and you'll see a discount code as well. It's for 20% off. It's only a $39 book. Um, I tried to make this, again, a guidebook. Um uh, so I'll be writing that, um, hopefully coming up. I'm just finishing up for teaching, so I won't be teaching this summer. Um, and uh, Do you have another workshop coming up? I just booked November for UCLA. Okay. Okay, that's the earliest I wanted to go because everybody's still um, trying to figure out what's going on with how they're going to come back from COVID. I had a lot of opportunities to teach the workshop virtually, and I absolutely just don't want to do it that way. There's not – it's a very – difficult topic to like take on anyways like it's a you know we're not talking like great photos we're talking like contracts right. we're talking like numbers i'm gonna grind. walk you through how to license something it's like it's dry so i i need your energy and i get very animated and i cuss a lot and you know it's right. so i need that in the classroom so you don't get that in zoom you don't it's get it not, in zoom, sorry man. yeah so we're, we're, i'm doing that in November, definitely. If something else comes date? along, yes, six and seven. Okay. Thanks for asking. And it's definitely on my workshop page, businessphotographyworkshop.com. Um, it won't be open till mid-July for registration. I do keep it low, Matt. Um, I try to keep 15 to 20. UCLA would like to expand it. But because there's a lot of discussion and I try to make sure there's enough time for a lot of discussion, I try not to... Uh, you know, make it big, huge. Right. Um, 400 other, people, it's a circus. No, and I've done the, the talks at the conferences where we get 100 people. I had Porter sit in on one. We were talking about Porter right. Banks earlier. <laughs> I put him on the spot because I, I showed a picture that I've licensed for uh, uh, book covers and stuff. That was one of the worst photographs I probably took at Sports Illustrated, and he had signed it, and he was in the audience. So I was like, Porter, what do you think of this photograph? And nicest guy in the world. He's like, well, Tom... Uh, I, I, it's okay. I think you've done better work. I'm like, it sucks. It sucks. This picture sucks. Uh, but it ended up being licensed multiple He's times. He's great. He is the best. I love that man to death. He, he chewed my ass one time. That's what just, I like. He's just, just real. But they chew you, and then it's right. like, okay, well, so you can move on. It was one. Of, it was my first. I, I, every time I'd gone in the office, I never seen Porter. So he gives me an assignment, go down to shoot Bobby Bonilla down in San Diego. Oh, yeah. I go down there, I shoot, I take my grandfather with me, we shoot the game, do all this stuff, send him send him out the film, next couple days later, call him, that's not what I wanted, you screwed up, that was horrible, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, sorry, I, I killed myself. Mo calls me the next day about a shoot, and she's like, boy, Porter was bra uh, just praising you. Oh. He loved your stuff. Oh, I was no. like, wait, what? And she's like, he, he told me a new one. Oh, he does that all the time with new people. Don't worry about it. Oh, my gosh. I was gosh. like, oh, that don't bust crazy. my balls. I was almost in tears. Oh, man, I'm that's like so funny. I'm like young, and I'm thinking so like, this guy is killing me. Right, uh, right. That guy's great. Yeah, that was funny. That was funny. So... Um, but I show I literally show that in 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 the workshop as we talk about <laughs> licensing and Good. stuff. So I I think it's going to start kicking back in again. I only 
only do, you know, a few of them a year. It's not something I do to try to, you know, pay my rent or anything. Right. I try to put them out there. There's been a lot of interest from the East Coast. Um, it looked like something was going to happen right before kind of COVID shut everything down, maybe in New York, Boston area. Um, definitely at Robert's Camera, they uh, were getting it on the date right when they shut everything down, Ugh. which is in Indianapolis. So kind of give people uh, uh, a thing. So, um you know, I put them up on the website. So when it happens, uh, you know, I think it'll start kicking in a little bit more next year. I think people are still a little scared of like whether or not they're going to put something on and then have to cancel because we had to cancel a number of them last year. Right. And it kind of created a situation for, you know, them to have to deal with the refunds and stuff. Where like can that. people follow you on Instagram, Twitter? I'm not on Instagram. Um, I decided to get off of that uh, years ago when they switched to pretty bad terms. Okay. Um, I probably could get it back on now because they're kind of all bad terms now. <laughs> but my, my issue with Instagram is most theft, um, a lot of theft occurs from, from images that are seen on Instagram. Oh, God, and I'm yes. already dealing with so much of that anyway. So, um, but I might get back on at some point. But anyways, I'm not on Instagram. On Twitter, I have two two accounts on Twitter: uh, Todd Big Photo or Todd Bigelow uh, Photography. But it's at Todd Big Photo, P H O T O. Then the other one is Business of Photography Workshop, which I think is Business uh, Photo One or something like that. But okay. if you go to Todd Bigelow Photography, you'll see in the profile the links. That it said also, yeah. Make sure so, to follow it. Yeah, just you know, if you want, you know, I mean, I I try to just keep it. Especially on the business side, I try to keep it about, you know, what we're talking about here and, and, and pushing out their analogies of how other businesses do things. Like, you don't see other, you don't see barbers giving away their haircuts. Right. Not you at know? all. So when a barber posts, like some idiot came in, <laughs> asked me for a free cut, I, I threw him out the door. I'll, re, I'll, I'll retweet it. <laughs> it's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Try to go next time. Uh, I wrote about this, like, well, go to Ralph's, fill up your cart, go to the checkout and say, I, I don't really want to pay, but what I am going to do is I'm going to tell everybody, everybody how great your food is. It's, it's so great in the store and the lighting. I look fantastic and everything's here. I will tell everybody. I've got like a couple hundred followers on Instagram right. and they're all going to know. Right. And they're going to take your cart and they're going to tell you, get the hell out of the store. Right. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, man. Yeah. Oh God. It doesn't work. I can't thank you enough for your time. No, this, has thank been, you. this has been great. I'm super glad we fun. were able to do it. Yeah. Sit down. Super fun. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing with the community. And you helping too, Matt. People You've out, always been doing the same thing. Helping out yep. uh, former staffers, new people, yep. helping out the industry. Yep. I mean, that's what we need to do. Yeah. The yeah. community's small. We need to all help each other, push in the right direction, push back on the right. bad. Uh, if we share our rates, yeah. share the terms, do those things. There's no, this, this, we, we act as if there's some kind of secret. No, there's, there's no not. Secret. Yeah. There's not, we're yeah. just, we're not original. We're just kind of manipulating a little bit of something different, whether it's lighting, contracts, relationships with enduring portraits, just help each other out. Yeah. yeah, I agree. That's what, that's what it's all about. Especially now when I can help younger people find their way and and I definitely want to do that. But I definitely like helping my colleagues that, you know, have either been, you know, kind of forced out through downcut, downsizing or something. But, um, you know, I help them out and, and try to get them on that path. And hopefully they help it out, too. And, and I ask everybody to pay for it. So, you know, if I if you reach out to me and I you know, I do something to help you out, um, please pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the man. I appreciate nah, it. You're the man. Appreciate right. that. OK, bud. Be good. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to part two of my conversation with Todd Bigelow. Please click the like button if you enjoyed the episode. Also subscribe. 
You can find all of our shows on the website, justagoodconversation.com. Thank you.